Okay, everybody, what's our destination? That one place over there. You weren't pointing anywhere specific. Uh, could you point it out a bit better? In the grassy place with noise. You're still not making much sense. Could you try again? In that one town with all the stuff. <sighs> yeah, yeah, that really helps. And what are we doing once we get there? Eating frisbees and playing dress-up with mayors? No, just no. I've had enough of this. Can I please fight something? Please! Hey, paisanos, it's the Backtrack Brothers Super Show! We're the Backtrack Brothers, and old school are games. We're not like the others. You get all the faith. If your back love's in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. Get hooked on the brothers. For a treat, so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from our features of week. From consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. RPG Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And that is correct. This is the one, the only RPG Backtrack. We are up to episode 190. We are, I am host number one, Phil Willis, and this is host number one, Mr. Mike Minky. So we're both number one? Yeah. Well, I was about to say number two, but then I realized there's really no pecking order here. We we both split the duties pretty respond, you know, equally. I figure we're both number one. Phil, Phil, if you say that, also it will bring back horrible memories of people who watched the Emoji Movie trailer. I never watched. What, what, what what's the reference there? That was when Patrick Stewart voiced the poop emoji oh. and said, "We're number two. We're number two. Oh, <laughs> you get it. Uh, so that's why you're number one. I don't want anyone to think of you as a Patrick Stewart poop emoji. Hey, he, he earned his money. If he wants to do something like that for his money, kudos to Patrick Stewart. But that doesn't mean I want to watch it. Mm-mm. But you know who is here working for free, but you still want to listen to them, is Miss Cassandra Ramos. Hello, everybody. That was one of my more twisted segues, but it works. It totally works. Because we don't get paid and people still listen to us. And Patrick Stewart got paid to do what he did, and I didn't listen to that. So go figure. Maybe because it was. You didn't a... see the emoji movie? No. Why not? It Phil? looked like a steaming pile of poo. In fact, one of them was talking. And that was the one Patrick Stewart voice. <laughs> so no, no, I did it. That just looked stupid, stupid. But but what isn't stupid is the game we are talking about tonight. It is, in my humble opinion. One of the most, if not the most, underrated Wii games out there. We're going to be talking about Arc Rise Fantasia tonight. Awesome. Cassandra's excited. That's her excited voice. <laughs> well, I checked. Cassandra is the one who wrote the staff review for this game. I think that means she's the only one on staff who's ever finished it. I think so, actually. I, everybody else seems to have given up at some point or hasn't finished 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, we all know I don't really complete games, so that's few and far between. Uh, it's not really a knock on our crimes, it's just my M.O. I don't know about everybody else, but I imagine for Max Storm, it probably got too hard. <laughs> There's no difficulty slider on that game. No. No, I don't remember a difficulty slider. Nope. Mm-mm. But, uh, hey, hey, we're wasting some great material here, so before we dive too deeply into it, we're going to take a tiny break. Let's let you listen to some Mark Rise music, and then we're going to come back to uh, launch this with the main event. Launch this podcast, main event. Coming back after this. Turn. This is the main event where we take a game or a short series of game games and we dive into all of its juicy entrails and rip them apart and spread them all over the table for your viewing pleasure. Tonight, we are talking about Arkwright's... Don't, fan- don't you mean our auditory pleasure? Because I don't think anybody's actually looking at us while we do this. Oh, you know what? I need to put in a sound bit right along those lines. I totally need to put a sound bit of like... Of someone like pulling guts out of a body. That would add immersion, because this is an auditory experience. But... I, I never had to do an autopsy in school. Yeah, yeah, but someone on YouTube has, so I'm pretty sure I could get that sound. Uh, but... I'm sure you can find people being executed on YouTube. Hey! There's an idea. Arkwright's Fantasia, a fantasy role-playing game developed by a Magi Pooch, uh, published by Marvelous Entertainment... Uh, this was released on the Nintendo Wii in North America on July 27th, 2010. This is a single-player RPG experience. And published in Japan by Marvelous. Uh, published by... Uh, Ignition. In yeah, Ignition Entertainment here in North America, right. Hey, 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 do you want to talk about the story, Cassandra? You really do a good job with those. Yes, before then, though, I think we need to discuss the game's development a little. Uh, specifically how it was localized. It was localized? The way, yes. Because I just kept skipping past that. They sound like horrible, so I just skipped. It just seems like a good I'm, time to go into I'm it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Okay, so this game started off as part of Image Epoch's Project Ray. They developed Arkwright's Fantasia along with a DS game called Sands of Destruction, although they, they have like nothing in common. Uh, if anything, Arkwright's Fantasia is a sort of a, a pseudo-spiritual entry in the Luminous Arc series. We'll get into that later. Uh, at like Shortly after it was announced, X stated that they would be localizing the game. And then uh, several months passed and nothing came of it. And then it was later revealed that uh, somehow in Ignition, a, co- a publisher called Ignition, had gotten the rights instead to localize it. Later on, it was revealed that uh, what happened was the Marvelous Entertainment had a, U- a U.S. branch, and they were working with XC to bring over some games. However, uh, that 
branch went out of business or something. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but they could. They, so thus, uh, those games that they were going to work with Exceed, I believe um, other games that fell to that was uh, the original version of Muramasa, the Demon Blade, was also supposed to be originally put out by Exceed. So instead, uh, it said they had, you know, had to, you know, they they sold the, the rights of the game to whoever provided the most money. And in both cases, it was Ignition instead of X, up the amount of money. And presumably, because Ignition spent all that money getting the games, they didn't have enough to localize them properly. And we got the mess uh, that is, like, it's more into voice acting, although the script is subpar as well. And because of that, let's the game... see. At that, at that point, I think Ignition had localized nostalgia, which was perfectly adequate and uninspired in most regards as i recall yes and before then one of the, I, an earlier game is uh i think it was a visual novel called lux pain which had a terrible localization as i understand it like really bizarrely written and for a visual novel you've really shot yourself in the foot with your customer base because that's the only thing in a visual novel that matters exactly so <laughs> so yeah they weren't exactly well known for like when i heard that news i was devastated like like because but before like before uh arc rise fantasia was announced already they had gotten muramasa and blade and already it came out it's just like they like the, the script is not really good and terribly simplified apparently and it's just like no why did you do this why did you do this please don't mess up please don't mess up and they messed up well muramasa got its rebirth on the vita where xc did come along and localize it very well Arcrise Fantasia, on the other hand, has not been given a release on any other system so far, and that means no one else has gotten a chance to clean up Ignition's mess. And since Image Epoch is defunct, who knows if that'll even ever happen? I mean, I, I, I assume Marvelous owns the rights, but I have no idea how that could work out. I don't know, like, what copyright has to say about, like, with one company going out of business, and uh, who knows? It could happen, I guess, at this it point. It could. Kind of D- didn't we just hear about a new Battletoads game for the first time in, what, 30 years? Maybe. I mean, uh, uh, Luminous, the, the, the last Luminous Arc game was out for the Vita called Luminous Arc Infinity, but nothing has came from that since then, a couple of years ago. It was never even localized either. But anyway, okay, so that little bit of history done. Uh, I stick to the game itself. Yeah, uh, so, story time. Yes, and uh, I'm just going to get a little help here because it's a bit of a long story. I don't remember every part. So the game starts off, uh, you're, you see a bunch of an army, most people in a blue armor in an uh, airship. You later find out they're called light ship, And they're pacing on a giant, a large flock of these dragons. You find out that these are called fell dragons. And yes, this is a few years before Grima popularized the term fell dragon. They actually, but anyway. And these dragons, other than just, you know, raising the land and killing people, if they are killed, they self-destruct into a nasty, poisonous mess that covers the land. And, you know, that's they don't want that, so they're trying to kill them well far away from civilization. Among the soldiers is a mercenary who is not clad in blue armor, but just in his own red coat, uh, the hero Lark Bright Lagoon. Uh, you go through a small tutorial battle, and then a cutscene in which he manages, like, uh, like throw the dragon off the ship, but the dragon brings him along with them, and they both fall to the ground. Uh, he, he somehow uses the dragon to break his fall, so he can somehow kill from hundred. He doesn't get killed from hundreds of falling hundreds of feet in the air. What was but, his uh, name? Lark Bright Lagoon. Yes, Lark is yeah, Lark. It, I it's yeah. I don't even know what name. Yes, it's a that's his full name. Lark is his first name, and yeah, I don't know. Okay, just I just wanted to make sure there because that even by the standards of some goofy names I've heard, that one is out there <laughs> and, uh, granted everybody else has relatively not as games but i digress okay so 
they land on the ground. The fellow dragon is about to self and he tries to get out of there before he gets caught up in a toxic poison until he hears a voice singing a short song and he sees a girl uh, with purple hair and a flower and, and a flower on a headband as well. As she sings uh, magic, she's like, she crafts like magic around the dragon and the dragon just disappears without self-destructing. He, uh, he, he talks to her and finds out that she's a diva, a type of priestess. Uh, the, she's the diva of the god Imaginal, uh, which we'll find out a bit more, more about a bit later. They get to talking and R- her, the girl's name is Riffia. Uh, I don't remember if she has a last name or not, but uh, I guess it's just Riffia. She explains to him that she needs to get to a town of Jada to find a, uh, some, find not so much a person, a thing there. At first, Lark isn't quite sure if he wants to go along, but he figured as long as he's going back to the main area. Anyway, he's in the, he's a, he's a mercenary in the Meridian Empire. That's the country they're currently in. So he figured, okay, he'll just escort her for a little while. Along the way, they meet his best friend, who is also the prince of the Meridian Empire. His name is Alphonse. Blonde hair, nice guy. Uh, won't stick around a party for long, but I'll get to that later. Um, let me see here. I believe at this, do they get to the dragon prison at this point? No, uh, before then, they come across some other characters. You won't find them more later. The, the, you meet a uh, young man with red hair and the annoying voice in this game, Nico Benix. He's a, he's a gunner and a member of the army. He's Lark's sort of kind of friend, very clingy friend, who says that he'll fall into the, to the ends of the earth, but when going gets tough, Nico gets going as a coward. Uh, regardless, he joins the party, and uh, they also pr- uh, temporarily meet an older man named Rastin. I won't find out more until later. Uh, while they're in the town, they are attacked by a uh, by a man simply called the Death Chanter. He's supposed to be a necromancer. I- I'm going to guess translation weirdness got in there somehow. A lot of things are translated bizarrely. Death, Death Chanter does sound at least somewhere in the realm of what necromancers tend to do. Yeah, I think it's like somebody translated it, not so much literally, but just differently. But but anyway, he attacks them with the skeletal monsters. They manage to defeat him. He's trying to kill Riffia because she's the imaginal diva, though you're not, though you're not entirely sure exactly what that means. Uh, let's see here. And then after that, they go to what is called the Dragon. The Dragon Prison is a tower in the town of Jada, which has a... a demigod called a rogress in prison there. Uh, this rogress is called Sima. Uh, the reason he's in the tower is because rogress like him can produce this energy called ray, and the mod- all the modern technology in that world relies on this ray. Uh, when Riffia goes to talk to him because she's to find somebody called the Child of Issa, and surprise, surprise, it turns out the Child of Issa is Lark. So uh, convenient there. So because he's, what is this? What is a child of Issa, you may ask? It is basically a sort of chosen one. He needs to speak to the to the head god called Issa to make the world better. Again, more details on that later. Uh, the uh, Rogress Sima goes along with them and becomes a summon. The Rogress are this summon. He's the summon of light. Uh, as they, I believe they fight the Death Chanter again. At some point, they... Uh, they have to go back to the capital of the empire called Diamant, and there they speak to the emperor, Vice, who is Alf's brother. Um, he's not very well liked, kind of a, kind of a nasty guy, really. Uh, he is at first not very happy when because they basically took out their power source. But Vice says that he can, you know, forgive them and let them keep Sima if they go and sabotage a, a neighboring nation's energy because supposedly they're taking energy from them. And uh, this is the nation of Olkenia. 
and Okina. Uh, they, they're, it's a fanatical country. They worship some other religion and another god called Real. Uh, you'll find out more about that a bit later. Uh, they run into all sorts of different characters there. They meet Lark's mother, Elena, who's a nice lady. Uh, they meet his, Lark's mentor, Samuel, weird flashy guy. They meet a very important character. Her name is Adele. Uh, oh, have I mentioned that if you play this game, you'll notice that the character designs might be familiar, especially if you watch a bunch of anime. Um, what is his name again? Drat, I need to look this up. Uh, his name is Kenichi Yoshida, and his he also designed the characters from the anime Elreka 7, as well as a few other series. Uh, so it's why... It's like, are, it's, it's, are they at all reminiscent of the Luminous Arc characters? No, it's not that same. It's not that okay. same art. It's like it's definitely anime, but it's distinct in like the same way like a Rumeka Takahashi characters are distinct, but less simple. Sure. Though. Just like it's distinct. It's not like generic. it's not generic, but still. Yeah, her, her her characters are extremely distinct. Yes. So, but yeah, his characters also. So it's like they look like they're straight out of uh, Elreka Seven, even though this is a, a fantasy and not a sci-fi mecha series. But anyway. Uh, so Adele, I, I say this because Adele looks an awful lot like a character in that anime, Anemone, who is completely crazy. Uh, this may or may not pertain to Adele later in the game. Uh, but anyway, she's a, she's a childhood friend of both Lark and Alf. She has an obvious crush on Lark, but doesn't notice it. And Alf has a crush on her. So anyway, that may or may not play in the story later. Uh, so the party goes to... Okina, they have to take the long route because they found out that the Death Chanter is trying to go there as well. Uh, they actually encounter a very familiar creature along the way. Uh, a Copen, a fire Copen. Yes, the same Copens from the Luminous Arc series. Uh, you go to their village and hij- like there's a, just a couple of hijinks there, but they're not very important to the story, but it's a really neat little like nod to that series and a hint that this game belongs in that same multiverse, even if there's no real deep story connection. There's no story connection. Other than a couple of hints that they kind of belong in the same meta universe. Um, let's see here what happens after that. Uh, let's see. So along the way to Okina, they also meet a uh, thief named Serge. Uh, he becomes a party member later. He's trying. He, he's the one who kidnapped that Copen because I, I guess you can sell Copens as I don't know pets or something. Uh, I don't think he joins them yet, but. They're just as goofy in this game as they are in the Luma's Arc series, mind you. But although I, I don't think the translation gets that across well enough, sad to say. Maybe, maybe Copens are the equivalent of the stuff that gets imported into China now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Everybody likes Copens because they think they bring you sexual stamina or some crap like that. <laughs> I have no idea, but I just I just find that fun. There's a there's a couple other like connections, but I'll get into this later. Um, so they get to the capital city of Okina called Anthrax. And I, I believe the city was actually called Anthrax in the original Japanese. You can imagine why they removed the letter there. No, I can't. I, anthrax is a perfectly lovable thing that everyone should enjoy. I look forward to bubonic plague and bulimia as town names also. Anyway, so uh, they find out that um, diva of the uh, religion there, the real diva, as again, the god that she is the priestess of, uh, she has been recently killed, but her successor is her daughter who had been uh, stowed away. Like they don't, she's in hiding somewhere. They don't, Popius doesn't know where she is right now. A bit of it. So uh, later they go and try to disable the uh, power some in Antrax. And then uh, let's see here. After that, the party, uh, let's see here, the party meets. Oh, yeah. oh, that's right. Leslie, another party, another future party member. She kind of joins temporarily, leaves, and then comes back again. Uh, she's a pink haired 
a scantily clad woman and probably the only real fan service this game has other than, well, uh, at least the sexy. There's like all sorts of nods. Again, there's all, all like the little nods slash connect to Luminous Arc. Could hypothet- I was waiting, I wait, was waiting for you to say there's a lot of non-sexy fan service. <laughs> yes, but because the Luminous Arc series is pretty well known for its sexy fan service, but this game mostly stays away from that, except for Lesbian. And if I remember correctly, a couple of like a few years before the game was released, there was a mild stir made in, in the news. I say mild if this happened to explode it, uh, that uh, before the game was released in Japan, um, Leslie showed the bottom part like her. She had less of a, uh, a top and showed parts of the lower parts of her breasts. And then later artwork covered it up entirely. So it looks like a normal, you know, like, a, like a normal top now. And some people kind of made like a bit of, oh, no, they covered her up. I remember one uh, one forum member, Silicon Noob, I believe was his name was, would bring it up all the time. They just stopped coming. That here. does sound familiar. Yes, I remember so, Silicon Noob just couldn't yeah, get over it. Noob, just couldn't get over the, the lack of underboob. But this was Japan doing it. But still, imagine it. But anyway, so. No, don't take away my underboob. Sorry. And it's not America's fault or Nintendo of America's fault. It's Japan's fault. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, so well, then he should go, he should go look at the artwork for Hidoba in Shining Force 3. (laughs) Okay, Okay, regardless, that's Leslie. Uh, she's a cool character, but she doesn't really permanently join the party until later. Uh, at some point, the party is captured, and Adele is completely like taken away by the Olkian forces. The group tries to catch up with her, but they find out that Adele is the real, she is the current real diva. She is the daughter of the original real diva who was killed recently. Uh, the reason she was hidden like that is because her mother wanted to protect her. She had uh, Samuel, Lark's Lark's um, mentor, who was a member of the same mercenary group that his father, Rex, was a part of. Rex died with an infant, I believe. And there were two other members of that group as well. They were sent to protect her in case, you know, the one of the divas was assassinated. Uh, Adele to make Lark her, her child of Issa, but it can't happen because he's already... Uh, that he's already the imaginal child of Isa. Uh, As I said, is this a chosen one? He has to present. This is what we find out more about the two. What Lark, and you actually later find out that somebody else is a child of Isa, has to do is present two laws, which are two laws to the god Isa. One law called imaginal for the continued growth and evolution of humankind, while Rio is supposed to be the basically hitting the reset button on a planet Earth. Everything would be covered in crystallization, but everything would reborn. Of course, everything would die first. Of course, at first you think, well, obviously go for one or the other, but you later find out neither one of them, neither of them is all that good. Uh, so Lark unintentionally chooses imaginal. He's just kind of ta- he was just kind of following Riffia. And he's kind of bumbling away, like not really bumbling, but like he's just kind of pushed along because he's not entirely sure how to get out of any of this. Uh, regardless, Adele is like angered by the fact that he can't bond, like she can't uh, form a bond with the Lark that he didn't choose real. But you find out that um, Alf is also a child of Issa. So he goes the path of, of re- uh, the real um, law instead of imaginal. And they go off as well. He permanently, Elf permanently leaves the party and Adele permanently leaves the party. She was always a guest party member. So that should be a hint that she wasn't going to stick around for long anyway. Uh, let's see. Also after that, Leslie and Serge also reveal that they were mercenaries hired to also protect Adele. And they, I guess you could say they betrayed him, but you know, they were kind of, they were, they were working, they, they weren't working for them ever. They were just kind of, te- they were just kind of watching him go. Uh, Background noise. 
let's see. After that, uh, they formed a bond with the, uh, I believe it's the, the Rogress of Darkness gear tub. And the group uh, has to, basically the group splits off from there. However, before then, the Emperor of Meridia Vice declares, like, he, he declares, he attacks Antrax and thanks Lark for bringing it up since he disabled their power sword. Uh, he takes it over, and this makes uh, Lark a, uh, a pariah for a long time, since people blame him for it, even though it was Vice kind of tricking him the whole time. Uh, let's hear what happens after that. A lot of this happens. Uh, let's see. Okay, so, af- so after that, uh, Vice orders Lark to give a message to uh, the Senate in the uh, Republic of Termelia, which is another neighboring country that the uh, Meridian Empire doesn't get along with. Uh, the, uh, this, 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 the Termelia Republic follows the uh, imaginal religion, also known as North Noirism. Uh, like while Kenia practices the real religion or Okinianism, and Meridian Meridia is, I guess, supposed to be atheistic. Doesn't really go into that that much explanation there. Uh, at least not till a bit later. Um, after that, uh, are they I, attack on Intrax? So, uh, but along the way, they find out that Ar- Lark has to collect as many of the Rogress before Alf does, so that he can present the Imaginal Law to Issa. And, you know, not have the world be destroyed by real. So that starts a sort of long fetch, not a fetch quest, but like a long task of going into different dungeons to face the Rogress and make packs with. And there's even a few instances where you have to out like outrun, at least you have to outrun Alf to get a Rogress. It doesn't matter if he gets it because at the end of the game, you're going to get all of them anyway. But I guess it's sort of brownie points there. Um, oh yes. Also, at this point, the uh, a, another character, a young twelve-year-old, uh, a twelve-year-old girl named. She's you know she looks she's small she's cute but she packs quite a wallop. Uh, punches can send people fl- like people like twice her age flying. Um, you find out that she is actually uh, technically the older sister to the the uh, the Death Chanter, whose name you find out is Dinos. But because she was in she was a uh, uh, in cold sleep. For several years, and Dinos had woken up a few years before her. He's now physically older than her, um, and uh, she wants she needs to stop him because he's still trying to kill uh, Rydia and also and also um, Lark as well. Uh, let's see here. Uh, you fight. I guess yeah. You collect. You go around collecting. Roles. This story's actually t- should have written this down more. Um, let's see here. There's also how in the world do I summarize this without just saying all this out? Okay, you go around collecting Rogress. You also uncover all sorts of different conspiracies happening around the world. A neat thing about this game is that there's not really one villain, not one main bad guy pulling the, the strings or trying to take over the world or trying to destroy it or anything. There's just these at least two major factions and a few other smaller groups that are trying to set things the way they wanted to by any means necessary. You have the, uh, you have the, you have uh, Adele and Alf of Real who want to who seemingly want to reset the world, though later you find out that what Alf actually really is to appease to the god real, to stave off hitting the reset button on the world. Uh, he does, but uh, you don't find out that till later. Another group is the North Noirism Church. Uh, in this world, it's uh, the main. Re- this is the main religion that used to worship uh, Esau and Imaginal, but Esau went to sleep for several years, so they primarily just worship the god Imaginal. And that, and that uh, Northern Wanderer is led by a man called the Patriarch. His name is Hosea. 
they offhandedly mentioned that in there's South Noirism led by somebody called the Light Lord, but you never encounter anybody from here. So I guess it's just a little extra lore there for no particular reason. There's even a head Noirism that uh, worships Issa directly, but they're so small that uh, not very important. You meet the head of that church. Her name is Luce a few times, uh, seemingly randomly. Um, so what, uh, the, what North Noirs wants to do, what Hosea wants to do, of course, is bring about Imaginal's law, presumably to save the world, but he's going through some nasty ways to do it. Um, he may, he, uh, hires the guy, he hires this guy named E, who is a nasty piece of work, uh, who he tortures people, he kills people, he'll do anything he does to make money, and he hopes to take over the world as well, though, how exactly he's, like, he's just kind of, his machination never come to fruition, because you do eventually kill the guy. Um, and you also find out a bit more, later on you find out more about the law of imaginal. The imaginal law, sure, is supposed to be the, like the um, continued survival of the human race, but this is at the cost of two different, the, the two different races of the world. Uh, I, I guess it should go to the back history. There are two races in uh, the, the world of Arkwright's Fantasia. The, 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 the planet is called Fulheim. Uh, there's the divine race and the common race. A thousand years ago, uh, the people, they, they were all just one people, but there was a, the introduction of a poison called Hozone. And this poison, if it didn't kill people, it turned them into dragons. And you later find out this is where the fell dragons from. The fell dragons are divine race people who were transformed by Hozone into the monsters. So several of the, most of the divine race uh, went into, above the Hozone, into like uh, cities in the sky and went to sleep. This is Cecile is a divine race person, as is Rastin, another older party member, the same one you meet earlier and have him join permanently. He's also divine race. Uh, Leander found that Lark is half divine race. So they never get too much into that. Uh, the the common race were humans who managed who were res, who were immune to the effects of Hozone, and later somehow actually need Hozone to survive. Like without it, they would die out. But imagine if that law was enacted, all the Hozone would so the divine race people could live, but they would basically wipe out all the common race. And you know that's kind of sucks. Uh, genocide is never the answer. Um. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Earlier, y'all were talking about anthrax and stuff, so maybe it's just a logical conclusion. Anthrax? Now you're anthrax, not anthrax. This is not the Japanese. It's it's a very significant change, Phil. That was a whole letter removed. It completely made the word sound different. Maybe maybe that was the word they were aiming for, and they just misspelled it. Anyway, okay, so, but anyway, so, okay. So it wouldn't be the first time in this game they misspelled something. Well, no, I guess not. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, they can't, so obviously the, the party can't do the imaginal law, but Hosea's gonna try to make because he's divine race and he just, you know, he, he, he wants to, he, he doesn't care about the common race, just wants to uh, save those people he knows. And is, uh, not an, and is, is a nasty piece of work himself to begin with. They defeat him, they defeat Ignacy. And they go to try to find a new way, a new law, a third law that doesn't really have a name. One that instead of uh, instead of getting rid of the Hozone or, of course, you know, just killing everybody in the world and uh, restarting everything anew would be to transform the, the, the Hozone, the poisonous mist into uh, it, it would neutralize it a little. It would stop being poisonous in the divine race, but the common race, it would still be beneficial to the common race and they could all live together in harmony and stuff. Uh, to do this, though, uh, Lark, well, you'll find out a little later, but in order, before they do that, they have to confront, uh, they have to find Issa to present the new law to him. Or as you later find out, her, although before then, you have to, 
you have to de- fight and defeat the two and kill the other two gods, imaginal and real, which turned out to be giant talking rocks. Kind of weird, but there you go. Um, you later find out a little, somewhat a little bit about why these rocks. Uh, when you fight, when you try to defeat real, you also have to face Alf one last time a, uh, in a penultimate battle with the most awesome piece of music in the game. A very hard fight, but a lot of boss fights in this game are hard. Uh, you defeat him, but he, uh, it's, uh, I think that's right, before then Adele gets killed uh, trying to protect Alf from an attack from somebody else. I can't remember who. And this kind of, dri- this drives um, Alf off. This drives Alpha to despair because he was in love with Adele and she largely ignored him still trying to get Lark on her side slowly going crazy as she realizes that he's never going to join her he doesn't love her and he it just kind of drives her crazy until this sobering moment that she realized hey this guy liked me all along maybe but it's a little too late too little too late to do anything uh he fights he fights the party in rage they defeat him uh they manage to make him come to his senses although he doesn't he doesn't rejoin the party until much later he just kind of has to wallow in his thoughts for a while um, and then you go off to, to fight. Before if you fight Issa, you can collect a whole bunch of different Rogress. Uh, there are a couple of bonuses that you don't find in the story. Also, after defeating Alf, you get the Rogress that he had on his hand. Uh, interestingly, the Rogress are actually named after the Babylonian, con- like the Babylonian names for the 12 constellations. Um, but other, it's mostly a name only. As far as I'm aware, none of them really look like anything. Um, uh, and they're all very strange looking uh, you find out a bit more if you pursue this what what the Rogress are. The Rogresses you find out are were twelve human heroes who many like thousands of years ago the world was enraged like, like was waged war on each other because uh, for fighting over resources. I think there was like a an, an energy shortage, so they were trying to find a way to say try to provide more and stop these. They discovered something called a, an item called the sing stone a very powerful magical stone that actually had a consciousness of its own they said they realized that this stone could help produce the energy source ray and they started they said why don't we set this up as a god so people worship this rock as a god however everybody wanted but still everybody fought uh some people thought we should continue what happened here no 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 before then what happened was that the first emperor of the meridian empire uh, King Meridia had found out that this god people had started to worship was not a god. It was just a magical rock, and he wanted to put a stop to it. Uh, he had destroyed one of the major cities, and this introduced a lot of Hozone into the world. This is when the divine race went into sleep and eventually led to the common race. And because of the Hozone, people had come up, had come, the god, Isa, had come to two solutions to try to, to solve this. Either get rid of the Hozone and have the divine race live on their own, but at the sacrifice of the common race, or just kill everybody and start anew. Um, nobody liked either option that much, and uh, the god Isa, she wasn't sure what to do, so she went into cold, she went into sleep for a long time and decided entrance people with the power of, with the power of Esau, the child of Esau, so that these people would either decide which group to go to or, I guess, fight each other and decide on their own. Uh, the reason Alf was one of the children of Esau is because he is a descendant of em- the uh, that emperor, the first king, the first emperor of Meridia, who had challenged. She thought, okay, if anybody should decide, it should be the one person who didn't believe her, the one nation who didn't. Why, why Lark is also a child of Esau is never explained, weirdly. Um, so they go to the land of Noir with the mystic holy land that Issa is supposed to dwell in. There they find out that Issa was somebody they kind of knew all along. It was the leader of the Noir church, uh, Luz. She, uh, she fights them twice. 
uh, and they because she like they tell her like let's do this new law let's in fact this new power so that nobody has to be sacrificed nobody has to die and she says but no if I do that I'll to exist and you know she she kind of likes existing she doesn't want to die so she fights them to force them to choose one of the other laws uh, despite this they manage to defeat her she dies and Lark reveals that in order to do this third law to neutralize the Hozone he has to take the place of Esau for the next 500 years uh, and he despite everybody's protests they eventually agree to it Riffia decides to go into sleep along with him so that she can greet him in the future 500 years later Cecile says she'll also join him eh, five years later uh, you just watch the credits roll the party leaves a bunch of these cute messages telling him, like, oh, you know, we will take care of the world in your absence. Uh, look out for the world 500 years later. Uh, he sees that one message is Riffia and never left him a message. He wakes up in a strange chamber, and there he sees Riffia waiting for him. Uh, and then the two walk off, presumably, to start a whole new adventure that will probably never happen because never got a sequel. And there you go. I hope oh, you could follow that because... <laughs> This, co- this story is complicated. And I don't think Ignition did you any favors with its not particularly interesting localization. Uh, no. I mean, again, it's, it's not terrible, but it's sub it's weak. It's subpar. It's sometimes a little confusing. Just a little. But, uh, but again, again, it's a, it's a complicated story. And, you know, granted, Image Epoch is not exactly all that well known for their great stories. Um, I mean, they've had, I mean, I guess, I mean, Stella Glow kind of gets interesting by the last third. Um, uh, everything That's else, true. though, everything else, though, I guess, is kind of has interesting ideas, but anywhere with it, like uh, Sans's destruction and the other two Luminous Art games. But uh, this one, they tried, and um, maybe they would have, maybe they did do well if it weren't for the localization, or maybe it's just a little too all over the place because it is kind of all over the place. Uh, the characters don't interact as much as I would like them to. Uh, they, even though they're like they're traveling along, some of them seem like buddies. It doesn't quite come across that well, especially since like the Luminous Arc series is very good at that. Stella Glow is very good at that. At like you know character interaction. They this game even has skits, the Tales series. Uh, Arc Rise Fantasia actually had two developer, like former Tales developers. Um, if I could, I, but uh, yeah, one of them worked on Tales of the Abyss. Another worked on Tales of Symphonia. One was, I think, the director. The other was a story scenario writer. And so this game, in some ways, is almost like somebody said, hey, let's put Luminous Arc and the Tales series together, which should have been an amazing idea, but image, but Ignition botched that horribly. Um, but but anyway, I, I'm getting sidetracked. But again, it's an interesting story. I, I like the idea as it goes with it, especially how it looks at uh, why people like create religions, uh, like the sort of different uh, factions going at each other, how there is no one single villain. Uh, even the final boss, she's not really behind everything. She's just she was put, you know, she was put there by people long ago. She's doing the job she was told to do, and and she just wants to survive. She doesn't want to be killed, but she's not the one manipulating everything for there. She just wants things to stay the way they are. And uh, but yeah, so uh, that's the story of Arc Rise Fantasia. If you couldn't follow it, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think you did the best you could without using flowcharts and complicated <laughs> PowerPoint diagnostics to properly inform everyone, which is not really doable in a, an auditory-only medium. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine just reading the synopsis on Wikipedia would be boring <laughs> and plagiarism. Amen. Uh, no, that was that 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 was a lot more than I remember from, from the half that I played. So good job on that. 
Well, well, Phil, now you know that it ends with a sequel hook that will probably never be found. That, 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 that won't ever happen. Yay. I mean, never say never, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't blame you on that one. So it, it could happen in, say, 30 years or so when when we're all playing games that are downloaded directly into our brains. <laughs> so so let's let's uh let's I, I wanna talk a little bit about the story, but I, I for me I have to talk about the combat to talk about the story. So because I'll compare the two. So let's talk about let's talk about the combat. I wanna talk about the combat. I wanna talk about the combat. It's so what? awesome. It's so off? awesome. OMG, I feel like you will do it much more justice, but it's so freaking awesome. I love the combat in this game. Okay, okay, I'll start off, and then you can fill in, because I know you're going to flesh this out. Cause yes. Yeah, you, I refresh myself on the battle system, so... You, you'll, yeah, because I played this, like, years ago, and, yeah. So, I can tell you from what I remember, I just remember falling in love with the battle system. For for number one, first of all, it, it's, it's a typical turn-based affair, um... Which normally I get bored of rather quickly, especially with JRPGs that fall into that typical pattern of attack, attack, heal, attack, attack, heal. But in this one, there are layers of strategy. But first and foremost is the fact that when you're running into trash mobs and you're just grinding and you're just going into enemies that you might only just have to attack to get through, um, you, you can the, the animation plays out so quickly. Everyone does their attacks almost at the same time. It's so fluid. And the enemies do the same in return. And as opposed to, let's say, Dragon Quest Eight, which I'm playing now, where I'll put in my commands and it'll say, Phil attacks bad guy A, does five points of damage to bad guy A. Bad guy A attacks whatever. It's so, but here it's just like, they just all start, it's like a orchestrated thing. They just all start attacking each other. Are you playing Eight on the PS2 or on the 3DS? the 3ds it moves a little faster on there but i i it's still one person it does move i guess if you bump the speed i, I yeah yeah maybe bump the speed up that bump the speed up that the helps original version yes that was not quick because you needed to see all of the glorious animations in 3d yeah yeah that's true they, they yeah it's almost like they have to make you watch like what in other words one one hero attacks one enemy at a time and vice versa. Whereas here it felt like once you put in all the commands, unless they were doing one of their combined arts or one of their special moves, if they were just doing regular attacks, they would all seem to unleash nearly at the same time. It's almost like watching a real-time combat engine. It, it was just so fluid. But yeah, very yeah, you can oh yeah, you continue, sorry. No, no, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. But yeah, like, uh, they do, but it's, like, quick. They're not quite at the same time. I think if you have every character do, like, one simple attack, they'll kind of attack all at once. But uh, an important part of the battle system is combo. You can make... Uh, one of the simplest you can do is chaining together regular attacks. And yeah. if you... So that happens, like, that happens, like, one after another. One character attacks the same monster twice. Another character attacks the same monster, slashes the same monster twice. That'll happen, like, one after another. But it's really quick, so you don't really notice sort of break... It's so, like, in just the regular battles, the grindy battles, the trash mobs, it was just so fast and fluid where it needed to be. But then, yes, when you got to the tougher battles, or heaven forbid, the difficult boss battles, where you were pulling off more skills and and exploiting more of the systems there to, to get the maximum effect, then it would show off the moves. Then it would be kind of one person at a time as it was unleashing special move X or whatever have you. And there was definitely some strategy to these things, right? 
Oh, yes, a lot. Again, for the boss fights, which there are plenty of. Many of them are hard. And I actually, I love that myself. Um, like, I really like the Diffus game. I like that it was a cha- it was challenging. Uh, one thing that I didn't like so much is that sometimes there was these extra boss fights on the map that looked like a regular enemy. You could tell they were different if they were just standing still, but if you were just kind of running through the dungeon and really noticed that that enemy is standing still, you might find yourself in a boss fight without having any preparation. Um, there's also a one instance in which case most bosses had a save like, before then. There is one boss that has a save after a long, like has a save that does not have a save before the boss, and that was, that actually only happened once. Um, <laughs> But to try to get back to the battle system itself other than the difficulty, uh, the, ex- the special attacks here are called Excel Art. You also get to use special magic, but we'll get to that a little later. Uh, the Excel Arts are, they're, 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 you know, they're special attacks, they're tech. Uh, they use up the, uh, they use up what's called, they use up extra AP, because bef- I guess they should go before every battle, there's a meter called the, a- like the AP meter, which I think stands for action points. Uh, this, how many points determines how many, how many uh, different, attacks or uh, a character can every every character lose per battle per turn i should say per turn uh these excel arts use up more and obviously the more powerful the excel art is uh the more it uses up uh later on in the game you can chain up the excel art these actually do like even these go pretty quickly how many you can chain after uh and depending on the power of the excel arts used you can use different um what are they called again uh some kind like they, like they kind of like, like some kind of special fusion action exact name uh, oh getting but... some background noise there uh, okay sound like a machine gun. i was afraid i was getting attacked okay go ahead sound like, like like a magazine flipping but anyway uh uh so these were you link these arts together, you do a more powerful art of all three of them attacking enemy at once, or a group of enemies, uh, depending on the type of move. And much later on, if you use the character's most powerful XL art, uh, they form up... And again, I wish I... I should remember these names, but I'm not. Uh, XL acts? Uh, like, they put up this... this like uh, So you have at least one of the characters, it seems to choose them at random, whoever uses the most powerful moves, to do a special XL art that does even more damage than a simpler art. And you really, and it just does all this damage. It can do upwards of like 50,000, 75,000. If you have like, if you buff up your character, like 100,000. And you need that much power because these enemies are difficult. It's just, it's just so awesome. I, I just love like to the boss fight. You know what its weaknesses are. You know what, if, if either... If you, you might have to, you might find out if you use like uh, an item called an analyzer that reveals what weaknesses they have. If you find out what their pattern is, or if you find out what moves they use, you can pull off this massively powerful attack and like chop off a quarter or even half of their attack of their HP in one go. It's amazing. Uh, similar to linking arts is the Magixis game. Uh, magic is actually kind of sim- is similar to the first Final Fantasy in which every character can spells a set amount of times instead of MP. Although they still call it MP. So the higher... What, what do they call it there? You have spell charges based on the rank of spells that you're using? Yes. It's, it's like that, but they still call it MP. It's like you use a dark... Like if you use the most powerful dark move, you only have four of them you can use of the weakest dark magic. Something like that. Uh, so in this game... In order to use that, there are eight elements. You have the four main elements, earth, fire, wind, and water. And to create the other four, you have to mix and match and combine four basic elements to form ice. Ice is made, I believe, of water and earth. Uh, Yeah, water and earth. Lightning is by combining water and wind. You create light from fire and wind and darkness from fire and earth. 
and in order to get this magic on a character, you have to use items called orbs. You attach orbs of different powers. It's more powerful the orb, the more powerful the magic they can use. And then you can chain the magic together, either by a character casting the same spell twice, or even more powerfully, having two or more characters casting the same spell to create an even more powerful spell. And this, again, can be pretty awesome. This is also pretty awesome because you can do a lot of damage, especially to enemies that have a weakness to these elements. Um, uh, let me see here. What else is uh, battle system related? But but yeah, just you, you need all this power because these enemies are difficult. I, I think it's a fun difficult, but some people seem to agree with me. Um, well, oh, I think and, Phil agrees with you. Oh, yeah, it's fun. And oh, I guess I should go into the uh, the the weapon. Is it the weapons have an interesting little subsystem to them called Arms Force? Uh, no, it's call, called Tetris. Yes, it's a lot like it's, it's Tetris. Basically, every weapon has a certain a certain amount of space on them for you to put special power ups on them. They called them Arms Forces. It looks like you're playing a game of Tetris, and so a lot of that is figuring out which best weapon to use that has the right speed and the right equip and the right Arms Force to put onto them. And so a lot of the strategy can come from before the fight. Of course, in this case, you might have to like lose the battle first because you don't, or either that I guess look up a guide to figure out the best way to handle it. But you can prepare ahead of time to get your party set to take on the enemies by putting on the right arms forces. There's all sorts of different forces. Like some are simple things like raising your attack power or speed. Some make all of your magic at the most powerful it can be. Others increases casting time. Others like makes it so that uh, like one of my favorites, uh, Ridia, Riffia, why did I say called Ridia? Riffia gets a weapon, a special staff that looks a lot like Lucia's staff from her, like her uh, character art in the first Luminous Arc. And it has a special ability that it prioritizes magic spells. As oddly in this game, because of how slow it can take to cast a healing spell, it's usually preferable to use healing items. But if Riffia has that staff, she can cast spells. Uh, as she ca- she's the first to cast a spell, so use a more powerful healing spell instead of having to use up an item. Um, okay, anything else? If not, I, I want to go into some of the uh, what, 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 some of the more interesting boss fights in this game. I just want to say, like, I really, really enjoyed the the combat. And for me, like you pointed out earlier, the story, it, it, I I actually tried my best to follow the, the story, and it's it's tough. It, it's it's hard to care too too much. But the combat was just so much fun that I kind of wanted to find the next boss. I want to go grind up more, so I'd be ready for the following boss after that, so I could buy more you know get more skills or play more tetris weapons or whatever because there's just so much going on underneath the hood it's addictive and and it was because that combat is so much fun that i was paying attention to the story when it did happen you know if that makes sense it isn't going to sell any novels or anything like that but i'm one of those weird people that when it comes to an rpg i'm not saying don't give me no story or give me a completely crap story but if the combat's super good, it'll take me through a mediocre story like this, whereas the opposite is not necessarily true for me personally. If the story's really good, but the combat is eh or boring, it's hard for me to stay interested in a game very long. It's kind of like the whole good service can recover bad food, but not vice versa argument in restaurants. It just depends on where your emphasis is at with, with some of the role-playing games. Um, they weren't great. They weren't good. But they were Okay. The story was okay. The characters were okay. The combat is just so much fun. And there's just so much depth there to play around with. That beating some of these tougher bosses that you're going to talk about feels like a real accomplishment. 
Oh, no, I, I, I understand. Although in my case, I do feel like a great story can uh, can even out a not a, like a not a, I wouldn't say a bad combat. Just, although I have yet to come across a battle so boring that I just finished the game, at least not yet. Uh, but to me, like a, a great story can make up for a, for a poor, weak or boring battle system. And a, a great battle system can make up for a weak story. I don't think Oracle Expectation necessarily has a weak story, but the, the localization contribute, contributes so much to that that it's really hard to make the story on its own merits. Although, as I said, there's a couple of different little twists, turns and other ideas the game goes with that I haven't seen in other games. So I give that a few points. Uh, but yes, but the, the combat definitely get, get definitely gets me like I, I I love the combat in the game. This is my favorite like right more like a turn based at least more traditional turn based combat segment in RPG. Uh, you have to go to more like quirky ones like Bot and Kaitos's uh, card based systems or the uh, or the battle system in um, what's it called uh, Igdra Union to get something that I like more. But those are far more offbeat than something like Arcrise Fantasia, which is a yeah. somewhat more typical, but has a lot of different systems going for it that make it far more interesting and more strategic. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I've been playing these games for decades. Um, the typical JRPG battle system just became formulaic somewhere along the way and it became monotonous to where you know like i people who listen to the podcast live heard me say that phrase attack attack heal because i feel like i'm just going into a robot you know mode where i'm just putting in the same commands and then later on games come along like let's say final fantasy 12 or something like that where they allow you to basically bypass having to even hit the attack attack heal button by doing some macros or or whatever it is because the there's it's just so simple but he i've often said that what jrpgs needed in their battle systems is just a little bit more whether that was a layer of strategy or in the case of like i love shadow hearts because the shadow hearts series just add that spinning wheel it's a simple mechanic but that spinning wheel just adds that extra little bit that something that that makes it feel fresh and new and here it's it is the layers of strategy it it just it made it so much refreshing to me after playing dozens of jrpgs and just getting bored with the with the formula at least in the combat system to come something like this where they push you a little bit more and they add that extra layer in there they make it faster when it's more grindy but then when you know you're dealing with the boss battles and stuff you you need to think more it was just for me. It was a great seesaw effect. Again, I totally agree. To- totally agree there. Uh, so for those, so those said bosses. Again, there's a lot of bosses, but some of my some of the, my favorites, and by favorites I mean the ones that I thought were either most chal- like the most challenging. Uh, you get to one. You get to fight Al- Alpha. Is that guy's a doozy? But uh, I enjoyed it despite having having to like beat him over again. Uh, there's a bonus dungeon called the All Wise Maze where you actually get to recruit people who had died during the storyline to join temporarily due to some kind of strange timey wiminess going on in there that they're somehow alive again for a temporary amount of time. Is uh, is it known as the Marvel Comics Cave? <laughs> maybe I don't know, but they they call it the All Wise Maze, and in there the last boss is massively powerful. Um, Fell dragon called Allwise, who later find out was the thirteenth unknown hero, who instead of becoming a rogress, uh, he just turned into a monster, and that was a really fun fight. Uh, my the, the not only just the best fight in this, but also probably my most favorite uh, boss battle, at least one of my most favorite boss battles in RPG, is a, a arena battle because in one of the cities, the city is called I believe it's Bennett, no, it's Carbuncle, the city of Carbuncle. Uh, there is an arena there. You fight in the arena. These uh, 
difficult, usually difficult battles. You earn money and you earn special items. The hardest fight in that arena is against three characters from the first Luminous Art game. Uh, Lucia, the Dawn Witch, uh, Vanessa, the Witch of Immolation, and Saki, the Ninja. That doesn't say very much if I remember correctly. They are brutal, and I love that fight. Even, I, 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 just for the heck of it to see if I could do it again, I had been trying to beat them yesterday. I spent several, like, like, like a long time trying to beat them again. And it is a, it's a difficult fight, and but I managed to get back into the groove of it and take it on. Uh, like the trick to that fight is you have to uh, get the damage two of them, like two characters, until both of them are low enough that you can summon one of the rogues to defeat them both at once. Uh, these, it's Lucia and Saki, because if you kill Lucia first, Saki will revive her using a, uh, a revival potion. If you kill Saki or Vanessa first, and Lucia will revive them with her spells. And that gets kind of annoying. So you have to damage them enough until they have less than 10,000, like less than 9,000 like 9, or less HP. Summon them and then de like, defeat them and then just pick off Vanessa. And it's just, it's awesome. Plus it's really awesome to see, like those characters there in 3D. Also, uh, an off-handed mark by one of the characters, by Surge, she says, come from a beautiful world just to see me. Come from a, sorry, come from another world. How charming. So it's like a hint that they presumably traveled through a wormhole. Or, they, they traveled through that world apparently just to fight the characters of Artasia. Just another little, like, you know, little nudging hint that this takes place in the same meta universe. Uh, another hint, of course, the Copins. Uh, you get to find costumes. Uh, out the, for the characters that are based on the Luminous Arc 1 characters. And uh, Rico, the, the currency is Rico, just like in the Luminous Arc series. And uh, other, and, but there's also, and the one piece of music manages to come in, which is the Copens theme from Luminous Arc 2. Some minor things, but I'm, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent there. But that's an awesome fight. I love that fight. I, I really, really wish there was like a Luminous Arc 2 bonus fight that has you fight uh, Fatima, Luna, and um, I don't know, either maybe, uh, what's her name? The chick with the, uh, the Rosetta Rosso, Karen. That's her name. What about what about what is it? Fatima, the the gal you ended up fighting six th six freaking times in the game. <laughs> Fatima, Luna, and uh, maybe maybe Karen, maybe uh, what what was her? Uh, wait, it's one of those. Oh, Ayano, the other the lady with the, the the silver witch who like looked like a who fought like a samurai. Uh, yeah. But and, but Our that would have been awesome. That wasn't there, but I would love it. That was awesome. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, there's the, there's, the, those are, those are just some of the boss fights. There are lots of bonus and even just the regular fights are pretty, pretty awesome. Good times. You know what else is really awesome? Mm -hmm. The music. Yes, the music. Uh, this is, yeah, this is, def this, this is definitely one of the Wii's best soundtracks, I think. Uh, Xenoblade tops it off just a little bit, but, uh, and, uh, but yeah, this the music in there is amazing. Uh, Yasunori Mitsuda does a lot of the important pieces, but he's joined by Shunsuke Tsuchiya, who also did some music in Luminous Arcs 2 and 3. And some guy who, as far as I'm aware, does usually do video game Yuki Yuki Harada. Uh, and there's a, a lot of great pieces. There's some fantastic boss themes. There's some really neat town themes. Uh, there's this beautiful piano piece called The Scarred Skywalk, and there's lots of these short vocal songs. Uh, these are the so these are sung by the divas Riffia and uh, Dell, and they are. If you're wondering what language they're in, it's mostly gibberish, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> 
but they're very pretty sad. And at the end of the game, you get this really lovely piece in Japanese called uh, Tenshi no Hashigo, or The Angel's Ladder. And uh, but but yeah, there's like a lot of great music in this game. And for some reason, it took them a year to come up the soundtrack. I don't know if it's still ready available, but check it out if you can. Very awesome. Uh, something related to sound is not so awesome. Yeah, you know, some people have made a few disparaging comments about the voice acting. It's abysmal. <laughs> I'll be blunt. It's abysmal. Apparently, again, apparently what happened, uh, there's a, a, a couple of factors needed to why the voice acting is this, even though this came out in a day and age when they usually get, you know, like anime voice actors or even regular, like regular actors to vo- do video games on a regular basis. People who can, who know how to act, people who have English as their first language. Cassandra, <laughs> you're, you're making all these wonder, these grandiose assumptions again, because you're assuming that we're dealing with a company that has experience in the field of localization. Did Ignition <laughs> have any experience aside from ex- its, its woeful job with Muramasa? <laughs> or Lux Payne. Apparently enough experience that they're out of business. <laughs> uh, but yeah. This was only a couple years after the wondrous Chaos Wars proved that you don't have to be in the 90s to have a really, really bad crew of voice actors. Yeah, I guess that's true. So this, like, the problems are many fold. One, I'm making an assumption here, but my guess is Ignition spent more money getting the name than they had left to localize it properly. Um, They had the, they they had the, the cast was, they casted all the actors in Japan. So they were all had like some, like, like English speakers who lived in Japan. Some of them were Japanese people who spoke very good English, but you could tell they had a very heavy accent. Um, and also they never got a director to give these people direct their lines. They just had them, them allowed and try to lip sync, but they never got a director. They, they sound terrible. These people have, have no direction. These people, some of them are obviously not native English speakers. Some of them just sound off. There are a, a few people, Rostin, the, uh, like the, uh, the, the, uh, one of the, player characters he's a really cool older guy and he's actually generally sort of kind of older by older i mean he's 39 he's almost 40 that's ancient whoa yeah that that's that's decrepit how is he not in a retirement home (laughs) but anyway so he has probably the best voice acting in the game or one of the i i don't know where they got him from i wish they got more like him because everybody else sounds well cassandra Uh, this honestly reminds me of how toho did things in the 60s where it would just Pick some random English-speaking person to be in a Godzilla movie, and it would be whomever the ta- the scouting agent would see passing by in front of Toho Studios. Oh, you look! You don't look Japanese. Clearly, you would want to be in our movie, right? You would be an excellent <laughs> actor, right? That sounds like Ignition's procedure here. I maybe I I have no. I, supposedly, some of them were like actors, but they do things like speaking in like documentaries or doing like uh like. Like they do, like what's what do you call it? It's like they do, like like the audio tours of, of famous places. Not exactly, you know, acting in movies or video games normally. Except apparently, the voice of Lark, whose name escapes me, uh, did a various random characters in uh, Shenmue Two. So that kind of. <laughs> <what you call. laughs> oh yeah, that was a really bastion of voice acting quality. I remember it. Exactly. Don't you, Phil? Do you remember so, the wonderful voice acting of Shenmue 2? No, yeah, it's 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 been known for throughout the ages for setting raising the bar. Hey, Microsoft spent a lot of money getting that exclusive Xbox title, and look how it paid off. 
And uh, also, some of the here's another minor kicker. I, some of the other better characters, like uh, you get to fight. I, I haven't mentioned them because they're not that important to the story, but you fight these two girls that are dressed like in goth Lolita clothing, called uh, Luna and Luna and something. Uh, I'll, I'll probably remember them later. Uh, they, uh, one of them, I'm almost positive, is voiced by Melodia from Botan Kaito. Uh, and Ignacy, I'm very certain, is voiced by Larico from Botan Kaito. That case voice actually isn't terrible, but it's also kind of it for not being good. And those are some of the better actors in this game. And, but yeah, it's, um, so yeah, it, it was a disaster. I, I don't know how. I don't know. I mean, I, okay, I kind of know how, but why did you just leave, why did you leave it alone? Why didn't you let XC keep it? Heck, why did XC have to take it? What happened? Why didn't Atlas insist was base, it was almost a Luminous Arc game? That baffles me today why Atlas never localized this game. They would have done a heck of a lot better job. I mean, that's not even maybe, that that doesn't maybe it bad. was because it was on the Wii. What else did Atlas do on the Wii? Uh, what what's that game called? The board oh, it was Trauma game Center. RPG. No, the board game RPG. Yeah, that one too. Oh, Dokupon? That's it, yeah, Dokupon Kingdom. They, they, oh, oh, don't bring that memory back. Oh, <laughs> oh my head. You remembered the name, so it's in there. It's part of you. She triggered me. She triggered my memory. Damn you, Ramos. Damn you. But, okay, so, uh, yeah, I guess point taken. I guess they didn't want to take that gamble. But still... Why? 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 I mean, like, I love this. Clearly, clearly it makes more business sense to do a terrible dub that will get you lots of bad PR instead of having, oh my goodness, it's all subtitled only? I have to read everything? What? You can just, somebody in Ignition's offices probably said those exact words. (laughs) We'll never know, but I think I'm onto something. I mean, I think, as I understand it, a few years later, they released, um, what's it called? What, something of the Metatron? Uh, Drat, what's that game? What's that? Uh, uh, the name escapes me right now. There's a, a spiritual successor was released recently. Um, but uh, apparently that one was terrible. It was almost okay, I think. But yeah, this game, like, uh, game, like this game, this game is good. It should be great. It should be fantastic if they, if they, you know, if it was done by people who knew what they were doing. <laughs> And, like, the battle system is fantastic, but I I can't overlook this glaring problem with equalization with a subpar script and a horrible, horrible dub. Well, at least we know it did not pay off for Ignition in the end. No, apparently not. But it also, here's the, here's another thing. Like, now I believe Exceed is owned by Marvelous Entertainment, if I remember correctly, or they have some exclusive partnership thing going on. That's a few years too late for Arc Rise Fantasia. Yeah, I don't see any market demand for a redubbed, relocalized Arkrise Fantasia on the Wii. It would have no. to be on a newer platform. The Switch could handle it. The Switch seems to be getting damn near everything right now. Yeah. But that would require somebody at Marvelous to dig around and figure out where exactly the rights stand right now. Yeah, and as I understand it, this game didn't sell that well in Japan either. Like, it, it, it didn't sell that good in America. I, I, hard numbers are hard to find, but this game didn't sell that well for obvious reasons. I think the price went down on it pretty quickly, although I, I think by now they're probably either back up to before or maybe even higher. I don't know. We'll look into that later. But, uh, yeah, it didn't sell in either, so that's probably why the IP... They haven't done anything with the IP since then, and may never will unless they feel like being charitable or figure out whatever the rights is going out of the image epoch's demise thus far it doesn't look as if marvelous thinks it has a whole bunch of value with the image epoch library but maybe that'll change yeah maybe we'll say but but yeah so 
And I guess, is there anything else to talk about? Voice acting, script, music. Again, music is fantastic. Battle system is great. The other subsystems related to it are very good. Uh, okay. It came out on the Wii in, mm-hmm. in amongst the PS3 and the Xbox 360. So how does it look? I know, I know everyone who listens to this is a graphics horse, so we need to sell everybody on how awesome it looks. It looks okay. It, it's very colorful. Um, the characters, I mean, they look okay, but they look kind of look a little plasticky sometimes, a little pixelated. Especially if you get to, there's some massive city in this game. If you go to the, the capital of Meridia, Diamant, it is so massive you can notice a lot of pixelation. But it's not terrible. You know, it, it shows its age. Oh, and how about load times? Uh, load times are fine. Good, good. Yeah, no problems there. That's become something of a bugaboo for me in recent years. Load times just take me off and take mm-hmm. me out of the thing immediately. Yeah, it's, but yeah, Arkwise Fantasia. It's like I, I, I never thought I would dream. I, I never thought to, so. I, it's a combination of Luminous Ark and Tales. I didn't think I wanted this dream, but that's a, when I heard of it. It's the dream I wanted, and Ignition partially, at least not quashed it, but they kind of stepped on it a little uglier. Ignition came along toward the end of your dream and started to wake you up and threw a whole bunch of unwelcome stimulus <laughs> from the outside world into your dream and made it a mess. Not a, well, a, a partial mess, like a like a nasty smudge that's hard to ignore. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there you go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but I, I really do feel like this is one of the underrated, if not the most underrated, RPGs out there on the Wii because I mean it was really killed by critics. I think it averaged like around sixty percent, and I get it because the story. The sub Phil IGN gave it six and a half out of ten. Ooh, and you know for IGN that's that's in the dumps. That is that's that's total dump. I mean, and that's the way those out of ten scoring systems work. If you got less than an eight, you kind of suck. If you got less than a seven, you really stink. <laughs> You really I suck. I actually read a little of the IGN review. This was hilarious because it was from somebody who had never played a Japanese RPG before, and this was his first. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and he just went on to, wow, I, I, never, I, never want, I never thought about how how you could be fighting the same things over and over again for a while, and it could get kind of boring, but I've never done that before, so I don't know if it's supposed to be boring. Uh, I, I'm not selling it very well, but... It just seems so strange to have this be somebody's first Japanese RPG. Yeah, it's not like other video game genres don't have you fighting the same enemies over and over. I know, right? It's not, not like, like a Mario. That's exactly what I was going to say. A Mario, you fight Goombas all over the place, right? That's totally not a thing. Uh, but, but I mean, it's what about definitely those Koopa Troopas. I'll tell you what, those Koopa Troopas, they are different every time. Boy, howdy. Well, I just... Some don't. <laughs> yeah. And some of them I... walk straight, and some of them walk back and forth. <laughs> I can't believe in Horizon Zero Dawn you just kill robots over and over again. It's so boring. Uh, anyways, uh, no, it's... I, I think we, we talked about it, its weaknesses, uh, especially in the voice acting. And, and I... So, so... I, you know, the reviews that came out were really bad, and normally I'd probably stay away from a game like this, but thankfully, 
I think it was Cassandra's review. It might have been something else, but somebody prompted me to go out and get this game, and I did, and I'm glad that I did because thankfully I had read the review or heard that it had bad voice acting, so I was ready for it. It didn't bother me nearly as much as it did the reviewers, <laughs> and the, the 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 story was okay, but the the combat was just so deep and so awesome, such a breath of uh, of fresh air that it made me more interested and invested, you know, in the story and the characters. Um, mm-hmm. As a result, and I feel like, well, I, I'm certainly never going to say this is game of the year. I'm not going to claim this is the best, you know, RPG on the Wii or of that generation. I certainly think it deserves better than a six out of ten. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got glaring issues, but it's definitely a lot better than that. And well, you can turn off the voice acting and make it silent. Although during battles, you kind of want that because uh, oh, wait, we forgot to mention that defending is very important in this game. Uh, enemies, especially bosses, will have make these super powerful attacks similar to your Excel arts, and the characters will warn you if by saying things like "this looks bad" or "you know got a bad feeling about this." You hear that? You easily put everybody in defend, or maybe like use an item or something quick and defend so you can withstand the attack and then heal up the next turn. Otherwise, somebody's gonna get killed. Yeah, no, it's it's just things like that that just make make this a, an atypical non-generic battle system that you actually want to spend time getting to learn those nuances and pay attention to it because you'll need it to survive the boss battles but when you do it's it's a feeling of accomplishment that you you don't see in a lot of jrpgs so the ign reviewer also felt the need to chime in that while regular battles were too easy and he got bored super easy on every boss was way too hard and mandated going back for an hour to grind (laughs) This oh. was the IGN reviewer who had never played a Japanese RPG before. <laughs> you don't even need to do that much grinding in this game, I don't think. No. Almost for some of the bo- like the bonus boss fights I had to grind up, but otherwise just change your strategy really helped. Like pay attention to what the enemy's doing, see what their weaknesses are, then come back, rearrange your equipment or rearrange your arms force, and then to a pulp. Right. Exactly. And and I I never felt the need to go out and grind, but I will admit that sometimes in going to the overworld, like Normally, in most RPGs, I try to avoid random encounters only because they're so freaking boring. I don't want to do them. But in this game, I hunted monsters' asses down. It's just not, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of Grandia. It's not quite as addictive as Grand. What was it, Grandia Three or Grandia Extreme, where you knock them way up into the air? That it's three. Three. We had so much. Mike and I talked. To, that is so much fun. Uh, I was looking for every random encounter in that game. And Arcadia's Fantasia, not quite that addictive, but. But close, mm-hmm. and I was looking for extra random encounters along the way. I didn't run away from because you can you can see them yeah. on the maps, which and is another move, thing. Yeah, they move pretty slowly, so it's not like you have to worry about them running after you, and then you know you can't escape from them. It's pretty easy to move around them and go on your way if you don't want to fight them. But I wanted to because I want to kick their ass. I like kicking their ass. It was fun. It's fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. I personally recommend this game. Now, I have taken the liberty of pulling this up on eBay, and you can find you can find used copies below thirty dollars. Okay. There's there's, but of course, our readers demand the best. We know this here at our you know RPG Backtrack. They want new sealed mint in the box. And I have located it. One of these days, Phil, I swear we're going to do a digital episode where we're going to have to tell people that you can't get it in the box because there is no box. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Right. But thankfully, with the RPG backtrack, this one's in a box. You can get Arc Rise Fantasia brand new in the box 
for $199.95. I mean, granted, I found another copy for a little over 100 but why settle for that one when you can have the really good one for $200? Ask me what the difference is, but I'm sure it's better because it costs nearly twice as much. You are the consumer that online advertisers love, Phil. <laughs> I know. Here's what's really funny, though. I mean, for, as far as used games go, especially on the Wii, this one is trending really high. Do they just not print a lot of copies, or is it really that people are just finding out now that it's really that good? Maybe a little bit of both. I'm pretty sure Ignition didn't print that many copies. Uh, I, I know like a lot of people listening to them when they first show the first clips of the English voice acting, and everybody pretty reviled it. I, I actually, maybe I dreamed this, but I swear they released like a trailer that I can't find anymore of the characters slightly different voices than the ones that have in the final game. I can't find it. Maybe I dreamed it. Maybe they got rid of it and destroyed the evidence. I don't know. But it's like they were trying to cover their tracks, but yeah. you know, they wouldn't get away with it. Yeah, unfortunately, the voice acting really didn't help the marketing department out for this game. No. It just, it, it went kind of, like, it's a shame. Like, I understand, like, not not getting on principle because you shouldn't be rewarding like you know, bad businesses like that like a bad business decision like that but at the same time you know it's uh well okay the studio themselves is out of business but back then you were, would be supporting the studio to take more games like this an unfortunate you know situation mm-hmm. so there you go our christ fantasia uh go out and grab your copy today if you don't already own a copy if you have it put it in play give it give it a spin you might find yourself getting addicted to something that nobody liked back in the time back in the day except for cassandra who gave it a good review um or you well, can read she, her review she even still gave it a three and a half out of a five three and a half out of five yeah using our scale where we our... use the entire scale yes yes yeah a seven or a 3.5 out of five from us is like a nine and a half out of ten from my no, it's, it's, i just i i i can't okay so we're gonna take Phil, you know ign hands out nine and a half like candy they they really do. Um, we're gonna take a little, br- especially if you if you pay for more promotional. I, I die. Anyways, we'll be what? right back. Are you <laughs> trying to say that every Gears of War gets a high rating because Microsoft gives good co- press to the company? Why would no. you ever say that? No, no, I would I would never imply that such foolishness was going on at IGN. Uh, but I will outright state that we're gonna be right back after this musical selection with a special surprise. Hold on tight.
So I was gonna wait until episode 200, but I couldn't wait because I have no patience. At least not that long patience and whatnot. So I've been talking with Mike about kind of a new segment that that I have dubbed the RPG Backtrack Sidetrack. And if you've been reading the website, then you already know what I'm talking about because I've actually posted up text articles, which I haven't done for years. But this new website makes it so much easier to write up articles, Mike. That is true. For now, I am still writing things in a Word document before, or an edit pad document before I put the text in and start messing with it. Oh. Just because I have seen in the past what happens if the internet goes out while oh, you're yeah. trying to. Uh, and I have good reason not to completely trust Suddenlink and its ability to keep me connected 100% of the time. I completely agree with you. I always. I always type my stuff up in, uh, I do Word, um, but I always type it up first and then bring it in. But it, it makes you feel a bit better. Like, so we're using like a WordPress doohickey now and I use that on my personal blog and it does usually save every few moments, but yeah, you can never trust these. It's, it's, it's the internet. You can't really, really trust it. Yeah. What happens if somebody, uh, I don't know, somebody didn't expend enough funds on air conditioning in the cloud destination where it's being backed up then oops we can't find your file sorry about that oopsie uh (laughs) please try again later maybe we'll have found it by then whoopsie doodle uh so so the rpg backtrack sidetrack is basically something that and anyone's welcome to join but it's something that i'm doing uh, I've got one friend who's kind of joining me unofficially on the side, uh, and he'll be posting a bit on this because we'll be talking about this on that Facebook group that I mentioned earlier or later. I know that you know, time warp and all of that, but there's a Facebook group that we talk on a lot. Anywho, um, term, term-based RPGs. I'll talk a little bit more about it later, but the, 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 the anybody can join. But, but this is really going to be focused a little bit more on PC gaming because I feel like the PC is the ultimate retro machine for playing your favorite rpgs um well it depends on what your favorite rpgs is defined as but for playing older rpgs because thanks to uh, thanks to publishers like gog and valve uh you can play role-playing games from the 1980s and 90s of course 2000s and 2010s but you can play that on your windows 10 machine and they got those things working great uh you can play goldbox dnds from 1988 and they work just fine. And and they're very cheap and they're very affordable. Unlike Art Rise Fantasia. <laughs> they you know, you can get these games for five or ten bucks, Mike. But as you were disp- as you were telling everyone so proudly earlier tonight, you can get a brand new sealed copy of Art Rise Fantasia for $199.95. Why wouldn't people want to get their original copy of Wasteland in the original box with the original floppies? Are there any still sealed? I don't know. Maybe we should find out, Phil. <laughs> I feel like I feel like if you could find that, I, I bet you it would cost an arm and a leg in the first board. What about an original sealed copy of Ultima Five? Ooh, now that's something our listeners would demand. Or better yet, an original sealed copy of Ultima Nine. Wow, 
Yeah. You know that you know Ultima Nine works so well with modern machines, just like it worked well with machines in nineteen ninety nine. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so yeah, thankfully a lot of these games uh, they 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 kind of made them work on your modern machines a lot easier than Ultima did back in the day. Ultima Nine did back in the day. So that has Ultima Nine actually appeared on any of them? I don't think so. Uh, hmm, that's another good question. I could be researching these for a while. Uh, I don't know. I know a lot apparently, of the Ultima. Apparently, Ultima Nine had such serious problems that it was not possible to play through the thing without it crashing all, all the time. Oh, wait, here it is, Mike. You too can play Ultima 9 Ascension thanks to our good friends at GOG for only $6. And what did the user comments say about its functionality? Why, let's see here. There's one of them that's using a bunch of ampersand and pound signs. I'm sure that means he's having a great time and he just doesn't know how to express it into words. Uh, and overall rating right now is 2.5 stars out of five, um, out of 829 votes, but I'm pretty sure that's just, you know, a mass hypnosis to seduce somehow through some subliminal message on the website that's just an oversight. So, yeah, I'm sure. It has to be. I'm sure it's peachy. And, uh, oh, hey, look at that. It's the one Ultima that I do not actually own for some reason on my account. Anywho. What are you doing? Are you an Ultima fan after all? It doesn't sound that way. How can you consider yourself to be an Ultima fan if you don't have 9 Ascension universally regarded as the best game in the franchise? I I feel like 9 is a really bad number for these long-running series because we had the same problem with Might and Magic. 9 was such a nosedive. It was so horrible. It was such a horrible way to end the series. Wizardry well, did there's it. There's a Mad Magic Ten now. There is not a might an Ultima Ten. No, no, because yeah, you know they got a little bit of a push from Ubi way after the fact. But you know, Wizardry eight, Wizardry had it right because they stopped at eight. Wizardry stopped. Changed <laughs> to a nine. Uh, but uh, one of them says, one of the reviews says, a sad end to a once great series. So <laughs> I just, I'll leave it is, at that. Is that the one that used all the ampersands and exclamation points and hashtags? No, he was right. He was the one right after that one. But uh, another one, the one who does use those says the death of the Ultima series. That's the subject on his. So anywho, something about countless Wait. bugs, extremely linear, <laughs> boring NPCs and bugs. Just mention that twice. Phil, this is not sounding like the capstone to the Ultima series that they deserved. No, but it's 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 not what they deserve, but it's what they got. (laughs) I feel a Batman montage in there somewhere, but that's what they got. It's it's not what they deserve, but it's what they wanted. Anywho, so (laughs) it's like (laughs) exactly. Um, Anyways. Uh, so, so yeah, so every month, uh, I'll be, I'll be working on a game and talking about writing an article about it, writing about my experience with it. Some of these games I may be so enthralled with and they may be so long and stretched for a couple months and I'll continue to blog about those while I go on to the next one. Who knows? Uh, these aren't hard and set fast rules, but I'll be picking games from, I'll be doing my best to pick games from different decades and spread out my time so that I'm not just focused on completely old games from the 1980s and 90s, but picking from, I've divided up my backlog into everything before 2000, and then from 2000 to 2009, and then from 2010 to about 2016, because we have a two-year rule on a backtrack. So following that, it almost puts my backlog, uh, my PC RPG backlog, into three equal parts. So there's plenty to focus on, plenty to do. 
Well, Phil, I seem to remember that when we did the Wizardry episode, we could only talk about 7 and 8 because nobody had much experience with anything before that. So you need to play Wizardry 4, the one that's regarded as one of the hardest RPGs ever. Well, hell no, screw that. I'm going to go all the way back to 1 because, you know, that's like text only. I watched somebody play that on YouTube and holy shiz, that is hardcore school. Uh, Maybe just we text. Go back to Akalebeth instead of the first ultimate. Then, yeah, there you first. go. Yeah, because that's the first. Yeah, for, screw first ultimate one. Go back to Akalebeth. Yeah, uh, crazy. No, I won't be going back to that. No, Phil, you don't go back far enough. I think Akalebeth <laughs> actually dates back to the seventies. Oh, this is. I think it does. I think it's nineteen seventy nine. But uh, yeah, no, I do have standards, and I think I stop at uh, around like Ultima four. I don't think I'll go back to Ultimate 1 through 3, um, me personally. Y'all are welcome to, though. Uh, and, but, and but if you play Ultima 3, then you can get killed by the floor. This is true. This is true. But not what I'm looking to do. Anywho, uh, so this month, I so for this inaugural full edition of the RPG Backtrack sidetrack, so to speak, uh, I spent a crap ton of time with Icewind Dale, the Enhanced Edition. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because everyone remembers Baldur's Gate. And in fact, for some people, that was their entryway into Western RPGs or their first D&D style game that they played uh, and, and the such. And Icewind Dale came out a couple years later, a year or two later, and it felt like the bastard stepchild because it didn't have the, the story or the characters that you saw in Baldur's Gate that made it so memorable. So a lot of people I talked to just kind of wrote it off. Just It just didn't have that same charm. But I jumped into it uh, with the Enhanced Edition, and I had a really, really, really awesome time. Icewind Dale Enhanced Edition reminded me what makes WRPGs WRPGs. So I saw an interesting YouTube video about the difference between JRPGs and WRPGs. And some people will just say, well, it's just games from Japan. Or maybe Japanese-influenced games. But I like the argument that this guy proposed, which is JRPGs are those games where there's a story that's already being told. The characters are pretty much already set. There's established story, and you're just kind of the puppet master pulling the strings to play through the play. Whereas a WRPG is more on your story, your character, you know, what you're doing there. let's see here. Would... Would Bloodborne be considered a JRPG or a Western RPG since it was made in Japan, but it does not play like it? Yeah, that's exactly what his point is. Just because the game comes from Japan doesn't mean you should classify it as a JRPG. If you had if Bader, or if uh, Icewind Dale, for example, where you're creating your own party, your own story, or Fallout Three or something like that, was made in Japan, that doesn't change the fact that it's a completely different narrative you know, focus. It's a completely different animal than your standard JRPG like Final Fantasy VI where you're just playing through a play, a story that's already been written out from beginning to end. There's there's some side quests here and there, sure, but you are playing through this established story with these established characters. It really is like you're playing through Shakespeare's play one, one scene at a time and just enacting the battles as you go through it. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting way to kind of think of the genres. And and it really struck a chord with me because coming from, you know, a child of both worlds and starting with WRPGs and then going to JRPGs shortly thereafter, Final Fantasy, I, and, and really falling in love with Final Fantasy VI down the road and realizing this is what makes, you know, JRPGs so great was the fact that Final Fantasy VI really, really told a story that 
the gold box games and stuff I played before really couldn't touch that kind of chord because you didn't have established characters and plots. Anywho, Icewind Dale, you make your own characters and you've, um, uh, you make your own characters and you're playing through a, a story that they've kind of already set. You're not going to do a whole lot with the plot there, but it's the story in Icewind Dale about bad guys, bad deities trying to come back and wreak havoc in the North and eventually take over the whole world is nothing I paid much attention to. Um, you know, Phil, I watched a movie recently called The Wraith, which features a bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know he is bad because he acts bad all the time. The first thing you see him do is challenge a guy to a race where if the guy loses, then he loses his car. And he cheats and wins the race, and the guy loses his car. And then you wonder, why does anyone follow this guy? Why has the police department not arrested him? Because he acts evil all the time. Well, (laughs) because he's evil, Phil. You know, everyone who is evil acts evil all of the time. Yeah, yeah. Especially his would-be girlfriend. She doesn't want anything to do with him, and yet he keeps picking her up from her job and attempting to smooch her and saying that she's his and anyone other guy who touches her, he's going to beat the crap out and maybe kill because he loves her that much. There you go. But here, here, the story, that story of that bad guy, you know, great evil trying to take over the land and such really isn't the centerpiece here. It really is the party you're making. When I talk to people about Icewind Dale, I talk to them about the characters that I created, kind of based mostly off my friends, <laughs> and the cool things that happened to them along the way. And, it, you know, whether it was the different magical items they found or the really tough fight that they got out, you know, of a really difficult scrap together. I mean, that's, that's for me, was what made this really, really cool. Like, I had, I'm in there, my character is a wizard, and I had my wife in there as a, a rogue um, who would do a lot of the scouting and go ahead and, you know, and, and um, pick the locks and get all the magic items for us, uh, you know, and the such. Um, uh, I had one of my friends in there as the dwarf fighter in the front, but it, and, and it was just uh, that's what made it kind of really cool. You create your own party from scratch, and there's tons of classes and what they call kits, which are basically subclasses that you can pick from that have strengths and weaknesses, so you can really customize it. And the original Icewind Dale already had a lot because it's taken from the second edition rules, but this one had the enhanced edition adds even more. So you really have – and make sure you take an hour or so to create your, your first party because you're just going to want to take in and read all the options. You're going to want to re-roll your stats a lot. They do this this rolling stat thing. You can redistribute the numbers that are rolled, but you're going to want to keep it rolling to have a better dice total if you're like me and then put them where you want them to be. Uh, it takes it takes me it took me oh, a little bit more than an hour and I mostly know D and D rules. If you're kind of new to this, it's going to take you longer. There's a really beefy instruction book that helps to get you through it, uh, you know, and uh, because there there's just so much there. Um, and that's kind of one of the drawbacks is that it is running off those second edition rules, which aren't the most intuitive rules in the world. For example, the more armor, so you start off with armor class of ten, but the more armor you equip, the lower the number gets instead of getting higher. So if you've equipped plate mail or whatever have you with a shield, you could be at negative two. And that sounds worse than 10. But in all honesty, it, it, in second and early editions of Dungeon Dragons, second and first edition, negative two is pretty darn good. Um, and then you'll get a thing called Thaco, which is an acronym that means to hit armor class zero. 
It means if you roll 20-sided dice and the guy has an arm class of zero, what number do you have to hit? So the lower the number, the better, because you're rolling a 20-sided dice. But again, none of that feels very intuitive. That's why later editions changed a lot of the way these numbers work. Armor classes started going up, and you just rolled the dice, and you would have a to-hit bonus that you would add to the dice to see if you exceeded that number. That's a lot easier to explain. But getting, if you can get over some of the older arbitrary you know feeling rules of the game there's just so much fun you can have with it and and kind of creating your own party seeing them grow seeing them level up watching your wizards get a wider array of spells that just make the combats feel deeper and more strategic as the game goes along one of my major criticisms about a lot of role-playing games is that when you level up your hit points or your attack power goes up, your hit points go up, but so does the enemies. So at the you know at first level, it takes three strikes to kill a goblin. Um, and, and at level 20, you're fighting a dire wolf or whatever it may be, but you've got more attack power, but the wolf has more hit points. It still takes three hits to kill him. It's a wash. It just has bigger numbers, and it gives you kind of like this false sense of progression. It's just inflation. Um, but real good RPGs give you really good skills as you level up that give you tactical death not just stronger versions of old skills or different elemental attacks but rather add depth to the combat as you're going along so that combat becomes more complex and deeper as you play the game and that's one of the really cool things about the D system uh where you have wizards involved in the such your fighters are pretty much going to fight the same way they may have a couple of new magic items add a new few wrinkles of what they're doing my one of my uh fighters uh, the my uh my dwarf friend he uh he's a strength-based guy doesn't usually use bows and arrows because those are more dexterity based he would just get in their face start whacking with an axe but i found this really cool throwing axe that returns back to his hand like thor's hammer and that means it uses his strength for damage because he's throwing it. That just turned him into a ranged demigod. It was so cool. It totally changed the way that character worked, which is kind of one of the cool things about a lot of these, these types of single-player games is they're not afraid to give you magic items that can completely change the way the character works. My rogues are tend to be kind of squishy compared to fighter characters and the such, but there were certain magic items that my rogue could equip that put her armor class at a better value than my fighter, which means she was up front a lot more often. So, and then don't even get me started on the wizard and all the cool things he found, including one of my favorite things that I found was a bag that every day, if you use the bag, it would give you a random magic item. Just just for kicks. Just a random item. Just just because. Um, or this one spell that I picked up off the ground. So there's a lot of spells in D&D that you probably don't ever want to use. They just don't seem optimal compared to like some of the bread and butter ones like Fireball and such and Stinking Cloud that can do good uh, crowd control. But one of them, I, so I wouldn't pay for some of these spells that are in the game, but one of them was just lying on the ground. So I memorized it and it was contact other plane. And normally I wouldn't even waste the time, you know, learn because once you learn a spell, you have to actually memorize it to cast it for the day. Uh, again, I probably would just have put it in the book, not thought about it, but I had no other 5th level spell, so I went ahead and memorized it for the day. And I cast it just to see what would happen. This genie shows up, and he's like, what question can I answer for you? And there's this list of possible questions, including, where's the treasure in this building? Where can I rest? How do I beat the boss? And it's like, oh my goodness gracious, this is an RP version of an FAQ! That is hilarious! And you could ask him these questions, and he would give you the answers... And that felt so much more refreshing and it felt so much, it kept me so much more immersed in dealing with some of the more difficult things about the game than going and looking up a FAQ. That was brilliant. 
I've never seen that in RPG before. That is great. <laughs> they, they, everybody knows you look up FAQs, but this, this game was made decades ago. And it was just because it was a spell that was in the original game. And they're like, how can we fit this into our video game? And this is what they came up with. That thing was so brilliant. And it was just such a memorable moment. I did screenshots on Twitter and everything and on the Facebook group because it was just so awesome. And that's that's what I talk about this game. If someone says, what was your memorable moments of Icewind Dale? Like in Final Fantasy VI, I will tell you about, you know, if you don't mind being spoiled, I'm going to tell you about the major you know, plot twist or when the world got destroyed. I'm going to tell you about the story and the characters that touched my heart and how it made me, you know, tear up at the end when it was giving you the ending to what happened to all of them at the end. That's that's what JRPGs are about. But with WRPGs, let me tell you about my character's journey, which will completely differ from your character's journey. And that's what makes – and that's what Icewind Dale does really, really well. So I had a really great time with it. And, uh, you know, if you're a fan of, of a more Western-style flavored RPG where it's your story, uh, it's a great it's a great way to get in if you don't mind the some of the older rules or you don't mind taking the time to get to learn them. And if you do get to learn them, it'll open you up to a lot of really great old games. Uh, and, and, in fact, that kind of segues into the next game on my list is Pools of Radiance, which is from, like, 1988 and is an early edition D&D game using those early edition rules. So... Earlier than second edition. I think those are first edition rules. Ugh. Yeah, there's some drawbacks. There. There's there's just a few. A few drawbacks. But I dare say, Mike, I actually... You know, granted, I you know it's been a while since I played the original Baldur's Gate, but I enjoyed this more than Baldur's Gate, I feel. Because Baldur's Gate had better characters, you know, more memorable writing, probably even a, a better story kind of overall. It's still kind of the big evil trying to take over the world. But definitely better characters and interactions between the characters. Which, which you know, like, who can forget Minsk and go for the eyes, boo? But this game is memorable because it's my characters, my story, and uh, it isn't it isn't necessarily their interactions that are memorable, but what they what they accomplished and 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 what happened to them along the way, and how they came together as a team to take over some some of those bosses are pretty tough and kind of cheaty. So the journey itself was memorable rather than what was accomplished on the journey. Yeah, with, with your with your group. Though I did feel accomplished with the big boss fights towards the end. And what was really funny was I, I got frustrated on a couple of them and FAQ'd them. And I would go to the FAQs and the FAQs weren't very helpful. <laughs> and then I would figure it out on my own anyways. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, good times. If you're, if you're playing Icewind Dale and you're struggling, just let me know. I'll help you out. Um, and the such. So... So that's what I'll be doing. We'll just we'll just kind of make this an extra little little segment here and there and talk about some of these. And if you want to play along, boys and girls, I can tell you July, we're playing Pulse of Radiance. August is Tales of Magial, which is a roguelike, a newer roguelike game that you can get. And by newer, I mean it's like the last decade. But you can get that off of GOG. It's probably on Steam as well. Really cheap, really deep roguelike. If you played roguelike games before, but you haven't played a really hardcore rogue, Tales of Magial is where you go. Uh, September, we'll be back in the mid, in the 2000s, which I'll go ahead and continue Icewind Dale with Icewind Dale 2. And then October, we'll continue Pools of Radiance series by going to Curse of the Azure Bonds, which is the game after Pools of Radiance. And if you don't know this, one of the cool things about Pools of Radiance going to Curse of the Azure Bonds is you can carry your characters over. And in fact... The two games after Curse, Secret of the the Silver Blades, 
and Pools of Darkness. It's actually a quadrilogy where feasibly you can carry your characters all the way from the beginning, the very first game, all the way to the end of Pools of Darkness, which is completely insane. I will not be doing that. I will roll new characters for Curse of Zerbons for reasons I'll explain later when we talk about those games. November, Wasteland 2's Director's Cut, since you brought up Wasteland. I'm just going to throw that in there. And December, I'm going to actually go to a game that I've criticized in the past. But one of the cool things, uh, I'll preface this by saying, one of the cool things about PC, one of the reasons I argue that PC retro gaming is the best out of everything, aside from the reasons I gave earlier, is that, and this is kind of cheating, but it works, is that the, 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 the PC gets a lot of ports from the consoles. And they're usually better done. They usually have better graphics or graphical options or additional content, and they're a lot cheaper than than trying to get some of those games, you know, the old fashioned way or on disc. And Are you so, trying to say that it's easier to make changes to a file that's on a PC rather than on a cartridge or disc that cannot be amended after being manufactured? I know, right? And the cool thing is, you'll get the PC version, and I, you know, I mean, this might differ. You buy it straight away when it gets out, but if you go back and buy some of these games now, like the one I'm about to talk about, you can get it pretty, pretty, pretty darn cheap, especially on a Steam sale. Uh, and the December game, the December game that I'm referring to is Valkyria Chronicles, which I have had a love hate relationship. If you go back into our archives, you can hear what Phil loves and hates about that game. Will my will my attitude change years later? Well, you know what, Phil. I'm going to go out on a very short limb that's very thick and say that you still enjoyed Valkyria Chronicles more than you would have enjoyed Valkyria Revolution. (laughs) I thought you were going to say something else like one of those other games we really try not to mention. No, I was sticking to the series that you just mentioned. There you go. I was not going to go and dredge up horrible memories until you put the idea in my head, so it's all on you, Phil. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so... You, you you came across something. Why did you do that? <laughs> why, why did you have to edge it out? Because that's what I do. I'm an edger. I'm a troublemaker. But this you is what's... cross an edge. Why did you do that? Because I, I, I like to cross people. That's just... I just get in their way. I just... I, I just cause problems. Um, but that's kind of the cool thing about CC gaming. There's a lot of, you know, I, I will obviously focus on turn-based and, and Western RPGs, but there's plenty of JRPGs. There's plenty of console-like experiences, and we're going to exemplify that in December with Valkyria Chronicles. So if you want to play along, you can start working on Pools of Radiance now or Tales of Magial or Icewind Dale 2. And, and that way, when I first I'll post the, I'll probably get the articles posted before we talk about it on the show, but you can jump in on the comments section. You can, you can, you can join in on the conversation. If you're part of our um, Discord community, we can chat about it there um, or on that turn-based um, Facebook group that I'll talk about later on. You, you, there's all kinds of ways you can reach out. Twitter. There's all kinds of ways you can say, yeah, here's some screenshots, Phil. I've just hit this in Tales of Magial. I'd love to talk to you about it. But we kind of like say, hey, this would be kind of cool of a book club thing type of do. Um, so cool. Uh, anywho. That, that's our very first RPG backtrack sidetrack. Uh, no, never fear, though. We will be back with more Blast from the Recent Past. That's kind of our go-to backup segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get back to that on our next show. So we'll be kind of flip-flapping. The idea would be if we're on our game and we're doing two of these podcasts a month, one podcast we do the sidetrack, another podcast we do the uh, the Blast from the Recent Past. But if we get behind, we can always do 
two extra segments in one show. It just makes the podcast longer, which we know you guys enjoy. Nothing like a five-hour podcast, so there you go. I don't know if we'll be having another five-hour anytime soon. We need to beat that record at some point, Mike. We do, but it will probably require recording over more than one session. It gets very uncomfortable to sit here with the headphones for that many hours without moving. This is true. This is true. Uh, all right. Well, we'll take a break. Listen, let you listen to some more music, and we'll come back to wrap this up with the final app. the final lap where we read your comments we talk about what we're doing it's all the kitchen sink stuff of our podcast and i actually got a couple of comments and this one requires a little bit of an introduction because uh the comments come from an unorthodox source at least in the history of rpg backtrack so about a month or two ago i joined a facebook group called uh, turn-based rpgs uh, and it's a public group. You can find it pretty easy. Message me if you can't find it. I'll send you a link. But there, it's a bunch of guys that just talk about, for the most part, turn-based RPGs. Uh, and occasionally we get in debate exactly what is a turn-based RPG. Because we know that was a big debate back in RP Gamers days of what is an RPG. We had a little bit of a debate as what exactly is turn-based. But um, without going into that black rabbit hole... Um, we do have a lot of talks about a lot of great old games, uh, by necessity, since most of these are old games. Uh, and I've been having a lot of fun there. I've got one of my friends in there, and, and we've just been chit-chatting up a storm. And it turns out that there's a couple of listeners of RPG Backtrack who hang out there. So when I join, and they're like, and I'm like, hey, my name's Phil, and yeah, by the way, on the side, I, I do RP Gamer stuff. Maybe you've, and I'm like, try to pip the show a bit. Like, go and check out RPG Backtrack, because we talk about a lot of turn-based you know, RPGs like Arkwright's Fantasia. And and people are like, oh, yeah, I've listened to Backtrack before. That's a great show. And we got some comments. Let me find those comments because I got the comments. I got a comment from Matt. He says, just listen to your podcast. Thanks for the turn-based shout-out. Listen to your Dragon Quest 1 through 3 and then Dragon Quest 4 through 6. Old podcast this weekend. Nice. Now that you're working on 8, uh, you should have a podcast on 7 through 9. And he mm. he mentioned you have not played nine yet, right, Phil? I I so I got probably third of the way through nine, but I I kind of like seven. It just isn't sticking with me due to its lack of narrative focus, and the combat systems in Dragon Quest just aren't enough to pull pull me through without that Phil, narrative focus. You need to get back into seven because now that you finally oh, got the geez. job system unlocked after forty hours. Oh my gosh! I keep trying to go back to set. It's just—it's hard, Mike. You, you beat that boss that happens after the psych out, so that you've got your gla- your classes at last, right? Well, yeah, I've gotten well past that. It's just soul sucking. Like this one island that I went to, and they were like, "Well, it piggies back on events from when you visit this island thirty hours ago." The problem is, is 
because everything takes so damn long in this game, I don't remember anything from that island. Of course, all the NPCs look the same. It's like the same five NPCs they clone over and over. So the story that they're trying to retell in this later island has completely lost significance on me. And it's so damn long. Everything in this game is so long, like side quests or whatever. They're just so long, and it's just draggy. And remember, Phil... This is this is the superior version to the PlayStation original. I don't know how you did it, Mike. You have you just have patience beyond my understanding. Uh, in some regards, I think you're correct because uh, we we remember a couple of things from that company, which is inexplicably in business and has remained in business for over two decades despite delivering nothing that I have played which in any way remotely deserves the public's acclaim but no no I, I must ease off <laughs> I was having a good day I don't, I don't want to sore my send my blood pressure soaring again nope nope I, I, w- nice. I will admit that so I started playing Dragon Quest games what two or three years ago and I was blogging about them in the whole nine yards and I will admit that the the combat systems, which remain somewhat unchanged from, you know, I mean, the, the whole thing about Dragon Quest is that it's a traditional; it sticks to its roots all thick and thick through thick and thin. And and so by the time I got to seven, eight, nine, um, I, I'm just a little burned out the combat system. And having played the great story in like five and four. Like, when I got to 7 and 9, which feels so disjointed, especially 7 that dra- is not only disjointed, but feels drug out, it just doesn't do anything for me. Whereas 8, uh, 8 is pretty cool because you do have these unique characters that interact, that seem to have character progression and growth, uh, and a reason for me I to keep playing. I the ability to up the speed in battle because oh yes making them go quicker that's true and in eight the visible enemies actually kind of works because you have enough room and enough space to avoid them if necessary instead of those stupid narrow corridors in seven yes designed for visible enemies so when a visible enemy takes up the entire corridor you can either wait for it to disappear or just take the fight i completely agree that's i 120 percent agree with that you're absolutely right uh, Which makes it a heck of a lot easier if you're trying to get, say, metal enemies that yeah. you can actually look for them and chase them down. Although they they always run like little bastards because they don't want you to kill them. And then they try and run in the actual fights because we can't have easy fights with metal enemies. Oh, no, that would be too mm-hmm. easy. That be, nope, nope. Got to keep hoping that you hit them before they run away. Uh, Jeremy says, love Backtrack. Your recent episode on Radiant Historic Perfect Chronology was terrific. Would you be able to start loading episodes on Overcast Podcast app again? Episode 1AC was the last one there, and it looks like you have two since then. Many thanks. I never consciously loaded anything on Overcast. I'm going to presume that it's part of iTunes, and iTunes is governed by the mysterious laws of Apple, which I have never claimed to have any particular understanding of. And I will try, but I do not guarantee because I am not particularly well-versed in the ways of Apple and its obtuseness is legendary amongst those who do not use it constantly. What about um, the RSS feeds? Because I know some of the podcast feeders grab from that. Is that working? I haven't updated that since we've gone to the new site. 
and I'm not even sure if I can anymore. Hmm. I will. I think I have to ask Chris because he knows more about this stuff than I do, and he seems to be getting the RPG cast disseminated throughout all of the old channels. Mm-hmm. Seemingly, maybe. Hmm. So we're working through. So we we moved over to all this new server and a totally. It, I can't. When I say new server, it wasn't just simply like moving some files to a new address. I mean, this thing is like going from a uh, a Ford Escort to to a Lexus luxury car. There's so many bells and whistles on this new website, and security protocols, um, and, and and so working through that to to get it posted. Is, is gonna take Mr. Minky some time because it's it's I don't even I wouldn't even know where to start honestly if I I took me it took me a, a, a half a day with Chris just to figure out how to upload to the new website I've uploaded to websites for years but this is a whole new beast at least I finally did figure out how to add a review using the new format because I finally got the cosmic star heroin on Vita review up that means it's time for me to Write the review for Strange Journey Redux. Woo! And, yeah, I mean, that's the good thing about the new website is it takes a little while for us to learn, but once we get it, it it's it, it's made things a, a, a lot easier. And that's why I've been posting a, a little bit more. Um, anywho, uh, let's do the... Uh, the, the uh, but, yes, you can leave your comments. We have forums.rpgamer.com. Uh, oh, I guess I should check the last podcast really quick. But you can also leave it directly on our website now at rpgamer.com where you see the podcast uh, posted. That's a thing. Uh, you can just click on podcast at the top, go to RPG Backtrack, and, and there's a place for you to leave comments uh, right in there. Uh, let me just double check. Real fast is pulling up. Uh, we did. Sure, we did. Comments on the last episode. We did. Uh, there's this one person. I, I don't know who in the hell she is. I think she's like a troll or something. Strawberry eggs. I I don't know, but she keeps like I don't know haunting us. Oh dear. I don't know who she is, but she's like, did y'all touch upon the altered weapons triangle in these games? I still can't keep a straight without looking it up. <laughs> and uh, to be tr- to be truthful, I don't remember us touching on it at all when we yeah. talked about fates. No, it's just like yeah, because they they add in like now bows are effective, and also there are the hidden weapon uh, knives and um, and uh, shuriken, and they those are factored. It's like a triangle with a triangle. I, I can't keep it like axes still beats axes still beats his lances still beats swords swords still beat axes, but then they throw in the other two, and it just makes everything confused. It does. Um, yeah, I, I oh magic oh magic is thrown in too as far as effectiveness and not effectiveness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, fun times. Uh, P- uh, Patum3 says, another great backtrack. I tried out Google Podcasts, a brand new app, and lo and behold, what do I see immediately? This episode, only a couple hours old. So so look at that, Mike. That podcast catcher caught, caught you right away. Yeah, because that was a Google function, not an Apple function. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. I didn't say that. I didn't say anything that would besmirch Apple. No, I I worship at the altar of Apple every morning. 
He said, Jobs Ghost has no business haunting me. He said, gave it a listen today. Great quality. I just recently discovered y'all a couple of months ago through Phil's comments on my Facebook group. Uh, it's another another reference from the Facebook group. And I think I've listened to 20, 30 episodes now, going back seven years, just jumping around. I really liked all the different formats and openings and such that you've had. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to you sometimes doing a Dragon Quest 7, 8, and 9 backtrack to complete the trilogy of Dragon Quest reviews. Well, thank you. The rate we're going, I don't know if we're going to try and cram all three of those into one episode because despite all the trials Phil has gone through with Seven, there is enough to discuss with the game that I don't know if it can adequately be done if we have to shoehorn it in with Eight and Nine. We would be lucky not to split up a Dragon Quest Seven into like two episodes, just like part one and part two, because there's so much going on there. And we have to cover each narrative juncture. Every single one. And there are many. Uh, but thank you thank you for that. For- Especially the in-depth explanation of how we open up the first dungeon in the original version. Remember that? Oh, where there were no oh, fights. You just wandered around oh, picking up items and oh, putting them in the right places. And oh, then wandering back and picking up more items and putting them in the right places. Oh, and wandering back and forth and back and forth. My ulcers just flared up. You know, I was just telling a friend about... He played Persona 5. He never played Persona 4. And I was like, you need to go and play Persona 4. But do understand... There will be like an hour or two of just dialogue and setup before you even get to your first dungeon. But that pales in comparison to the agony that is the opening of the original Dragon Quest VII dungeon shiz. Oh my goodness gracious. I just still don't you love the opening dungeon that takes you about two hours to get through with no No fights. fights. No (laughs) fights at all. I just I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Because when I first got the I just want to see what the new combat system looks like. I want to see what the monsters look like in 3D or whatever. And I kept trying like going through that dungeon like where's the fights? Where's the freaking fights? There's no fights. There's stupid puzzles. There's no fights. I had to look up in Google to finally figure out, you know, oh, this whole dungeon has no fights. You have to go to the past at fights. Oh, my goodness gracious. We have to go back to the future, Marty, to find some monsters. I it just, it was horrible. Um, but I, I appreciate I remember, that. There are a few people on GameFAQs who were upset about that change. Oh, man, I really liked that opening dungeon. It helped immerse me in the world. Okay, you know what I have to say to you people. You need, number one, you need to drink more. Number two, go and play the original game. Leave me to the 3DS version. That's horrible. I, I don't know what you're smoking. Um, but I do appreciate that. Uh, I guess you might only appreciate this if you jump around a lot or you've been listening to us, you know, since the beginning. But I appreciate that he's noticed that we switched beginnings. And for any, here's a little trivia point um, that can't possibly ever come up in a Twitter contest for free for free games. But we change our Mike and I change the opening to the show every twenty five shows. It's been that way for some time. So this is episode one ninety. Another ten shows, we'll change it up again for episode two hundred, as we do it every twenty five shows. So uh, I'm glad you enjoyed those very long openings. In fact, I think we challenge ourselves just to see how long we can get the opening, <laughs> how long we can make the openings. Uh, it, you know, the introduction, car uh, songs, and whatever have you. Um, we've been criticized for that before. But but we just keep making them longer in response. Um, why? Be- because I don't know why. Um, <laughs> because it's fun. Anywho, but thank you for the kind comments, guys. So again, you can leave those comments on our everywhere. Okay. So uh, roundtable, Miss 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 Cassandra, what have you been working on lately? 
Uh, lately, well, uh, this, this it is the start since it is early July now of JRPG July. Uh, all month, uh, we at RP Gamer and other places around the internet uh, play Japanese RPGs or games inspired by Japanese RPGs and discuss it on social media. We at RP Gamer specifically do a write up uh, weekly. Um, yeah, we've been participating for the last three or four years, I believe. And I always play. I'm always playing JRPG anyway, so um, it's not really that much different than what I usually play. Uh, obviously, obviously, for to begin with, I actually played Arc Rise Fantasia to, mostly to refresh myself. I'll probably only make maybe make a minor mention, not really uh, write it up. But the two games I'm planning on tackling this month are uh, finish up Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology because about chapter three there in both um, timelines, and when Octopath Traveler. Sometime after it comes out, possibly sometime after I, I finish Radiant Historia, maybe I'll try to play both at once. We'll see. I'm having a very hard time playing more than one game nowadays. And yeah, we're just hoping to have a lot of fun there right up. Uh, I try to post screenshots, so it's going to be hard on the 3DS now that uh, the Me versus is around. But, uh, you know, I guess just taking pictures on a cell phone will have to do. That, and, uh, that's the bootleg way I've been doing it myself because I'm bootleg. Well, you know, you do what you have to if they don't have that. And, you know, with the Switch, they really have no need to have a screenshot system on 3DS anymore, I don't think. Um, as for game, like Watch, other... Nintendo will do it anyway at the 11th hour, just because. Just because, maybe, maybe. Uh, other games, though, I haven't been doing too much. Po- still always plugging always plugging away at a Pokemon game, so that's perennial. Um, and but going ever, ever so slowly through Tokyo Mirage sessions, but I may, I doubt I'll be able to fit that into JRPG July with the other two, but we'll see. Uh, otherwise, nothing too much else going on on the site, uh, other than just getting, still, you know, adjusting to a uh, common system and the Discord. Uh, I don't go there very much, but I'm on there if you ever want to hit me up. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Uh, not much going on. Yeah, that's a that's that's a good shout out to do. We have the Discord thing; it's easy to find off our website, rpgamer.com. It's right there under community. Um, I hang out there quite a bit, and we have some good conversations. We got a channel set up just for JRPG July, uh, and and uh, uh, Anna, aka Pause, and I have been uh, talking back and forth about uh, Odin Sphere. Which is not that I didn't really do the sign up or anything because I'm kind of uh, divided and my job is killing me this month. I didn't want to commit to something, but unofficially I've been doing uh, doing some Odin Sphere, and I hope to knock that out for JRPG July. Mister New One or the uh, the uh, left 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 Sphere or the uh, the Le- Sphere, I believe. Uh the the new one, and it's so so freaking gorgeous. My wife walks into the room. And I've got it up there on the on the TV with you know the HD on the PlayStation Four and everything, and she's like, "Holy cow, that looks like you know a painting in action or something." It's just so so beautiful. And now I'm up to the fifth chapter, which is Velvet, and she's the one with the with the with the chains. And I was fighting with her, and my wife will walk by. She's seen all the characters now, um, so uh, you know uh, she 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 walks by. And she's like, "Oh wow, this one's different. It looks like she's dancing while she's fighting." Which is really cool. Like each character plays differently. That's kind of the the draw on that. There was a a bit of comments like, "Oh, I can't see doing the same thing five times because there's a lot of you know you'll fight some of the same bosses and go through a lot of the the same areas that they mix up the puzzles just a little bit." And uh, it's like, yeah, but they're five different characters that have five different play styles. So she's more of a, a chain that's whipping out in different directions. Uh, she can, I, she's got some of these moves that will grab an enemy and slam them back and forth. For example, it's just a totally different feel than I think it was Oscar or whatever his name was started with an O. 
that I did just before that has like the berserk mode. He's just a sword guy and just goes all rampagey like Wolverine all over the Isn't creatures. Isn't he the guy who's been turned into a rabbit bunny, whatever? No, no, that yeah. one's further back. That one's like okay. second chapter. I'm really bad with the names, but Rabbit Boy, he was kind of like they're all different. They all they're all kind of fun. I just had real real fun with all of them, including Machine Gun Fairy. Again, horrible with the names, but she has a crossbow. And it was just so fun just playing through a chapter where really everybody else is kind of visceral and in your face, melee attacks, you have to be close, worried about healing, you know, keeping on the hit points with her, it was just sit back and shoot. <laughs> it's just pew, 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 pew. It's hilarious. Um, so just, yeah, just just a, just a lot of fun there. Uh, but, uh, oh, hey, Mr. Miki, what are you doing? Well, you've seen that I finally got that Cosmic Star Heroin on Vita review up. I did. I will be getting up a Strange Journey Redux review shortly, because yes, I did finish that game. You beat it where I failed. Now, I I see where you were coming from, Phil, because even after taking my time and being, I think, yes, I was at level 80 when I got to the final boss. Wow. And right. it still yeah. killed me. So I wandered around a little more, did a couple more side things, got some fresh demons, came back. And I guess I was actually looking around to see what the hell to do with it this time because I killed the final boss pretty easily. But, oh my goodness, I shot myself in the foot because I had been following along with uh, the Womb of Grief. That is the new dungeon which slowly opens up. You you can get into it very early in the game, but you can only go down and explore subsequent floors as you get the ability to open more doors in the main game. So Mm -hmm. you can't go through it all in one go. You go through a floor, you get to a point where you can't open the door, then you go back and go progress with the main game until you are allowed to go further. Okay. And if you've been doing this all along, then you have gone through the new content of the game, and you will get the opportunity to have a new final boss, which I took. And the new final boss, I was able to beat on the first try, but it took me over an hour. Holy cow. Wow. The final boss, you beat on it for a while. It's aggravating because it will switch every couple of turns to a new phase from the all of the new bosses in the Womb of Grief. So unless you immediately remember what all of them did, which the first few of them you haven't seen in dozens of hours, so this is probably not going to be fresh in your brain. And you have, to, and of course, every time it does this, then its weaknesses change, <clears throat> and you have to go in and mess with it all all over again attack with everything to see what works this time and then you get it you're getting close you're getting it down it's in the red and then the stupid freaking boss pulls out a trick it heals itself completely yeah and now now in addition to swapping around its weaknesses with to all the old bosses it comes up with a couple of new tricks it doesn't heal its it doesn't heal itself completely again, but it still can heal itself a bit some of the time. That's that's just even better. Here, you can only do significant damage if you chain a co-op attack. Everything else will do single or low double digit damage, even if it's weak to it. You have to have a co-op follow-up in order to do any real damage to the thing. And it has this lovely ability now where it will just decide at the beginning of a turn, oh. Everybody who's neutral in your party, all of your attacks are going to get reflected back. Isn't that great? Okay, Strange Journey just beat me all over again. I haven't even picked up the game. It's already beat me again. Brutal. I did finally persevere, though. 
And I don't know if I would have if I hadn't been playing on the low... Uh, casual? They call that casual? <laughs> wow. And I did die a few times in it, and I can tell you that in casual, you just get... <laughs> dead TV screen. Game over. Start from your last save point. So... That's as casual as it gets. <laughs> Does it, because you play casually get like the do you get like a different sucky ending or something? No, not that I could tell. Hmm. Of course, um, I think there there may be a, a couple of paths towards the end that you can't get into because you need to be uh, playing at insane, ludicrous difficulty, whatever they want to call it. Uh, I it's there's enough game here to keep you busy. Most assuredly, and even though there is a new game plus means of going through it again, I just said, I just spend a hundred hours on this game. I'm done. <laughs> That's what my final clock said. Something like a hundred and three hours. Mm-mm-mm. So I got. I don't even know if I can say I got my money's worth because Mac gave me the review code, but I got <laughs> plenty of time out of this game. I don't need to play it again on New Game Plus. Blah. Once I get that review up, I also want to do a review of Muramasa Rebirth, where I, would, where I will give significant attention to the Genroku Legends DLC, because that is extremely worthwhile DLC, at least I thought. And again, just cements. We've been slamming Ignition this podcast, and I did not play Muramasa on the Wii. I played it on the Vita, where it had a fine localization. I have no problems with it at all. And I gather Ignition did not do that for its original Wii incarnation. So, good riddance, Ignition. (laughs) And then I have my new thing that I'm going to be reviewing. It's called Rainbow Skies. I never played Rainbow Moon, but Rainbow Skies is incredibly addictive. And it's not on any narrative basis. The, The narrative is you're a couple of guys who fell down from a thing that's floating in the air and they wind up getting bound to this girl on the ground and they're just wandering around trying to get unbound and these are not deep characters the dialogue is well written but this is not a deep story but there's just so much to do in this game it's kind of tactical in the way it approaches combat you're on a grid every time you fight and you have a lot of moves and the moves level up individually and you get yeah, getting levels isn't all that important for your characters, but with but you can gather skill points to increase various statistics of your characters. There are tons of side areas to find, little hidden things to find, and I it's really addictive. And I'm going to have trouble actually finishing it because I think I'm at, what, 60 hours or so right now, and I'm not even trying to advance the narrative too much. I just want to wander around and do everything I possibly can, so... If you consider that a recommendation, then go for it, because I am enjoying it quite a bit. But don't go for it if you want something with straight narrative through line, because you will not get it. Music is pretty darn good, though. No, uh, I definitely look forward to your, your full review on that, because I played uh, the the one Rainbow Moon. Moon, and it was cool. It was okay. I you know, it just didn't. It, it just didn't hold me all the way through. It kind of got a little bit boring later on, but I'd like to see what kind of lessons they learned and stuff. So that sounds pretty exciting. Plus, I looked back. Rainbow Moon came out six years ago. That's yeah, weird. yeah. It's hard to believe it's been that long already because I played it on the Vita. I remember playing it on the plane and going, "Ooh, tactical RPG!" in my hand, yay! <laughs> so let's see. Those are about the only things I've been playing lately. 
otherwise we get into uh i'm i'm an old fuddy-duddy because instead of seeing the new jurassic world i went and see and saw jaws at flashback cinema last weekend because i'm gonna be pretty confident in saying that jaws is a better movie than jurassic (laughs) world fallen kingdom not hard but yeah well, Jaws is a great movie, and mm-hmm. from what I've heard about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, it's not a great movie. <laughs> exactly. Not hearing, good, not hearing good things about that. Incredibles 2, that's a good movie. Did you like Incredibles, Phil? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I recommend seeing Incredibles 2, then, because it is a worthy sequel. They Yay. didn't rush it in. You know that. It's 14 years later. No, I know. There was, no, there was no rushing job going <laughs> on there. Apparently, that's because Brad Bird wanted to come up with a story where it wasn't just a rehash of the first one, which is, that's admirable. How often do you hear that, that somebody in Hollywood doesn't want to just rehash the first one because he's going to get money thrown at him? Well, and and if you watch any of those, like, sequels on a lot of those, you know, Disney, Pixar type of things, generally speaking... Maybe outside of Toy Story, but generally speaking, they're they're not always so good because they do rush it or they try to cash it in, or it's a direct DVD deal that they definitely rushed, and it just sucks. Well, I never saw Cars Two or Cars Three. Maybe Pixar did an amazing job of turning them into wonderful, wonderful follow-ups to the universally beloved Cars universe. But I can't speak to them. I did see Monsters University, which was fine. I really. I have nothing really to say about it, except it was fine, and I was still confused about how college works with monsters. I I don't think that's how I was supposed to be thinking, but how could standard college tropes exist when they're monsters and they can do things different? Whatever. So that's my experience with Pixar sequels, and this (laughs) is a good one. Yeah. Uh, Now, of of course, it will probably be swept off the the news because we have a new Marvel movie coming. Oh. Gotta have another Marvel movie. Starting to lose track of those guys. It's, uh, it's Ant Man and the Wasp, Phil. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't, I, I just, I can't keep up anymore. I just can't I do it. I think this is the twentieth Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I just can't. No. Anywho, um, I'm, I'm shocked to know that Venom is not apparently an official Marvel movie because it doesn't take place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hmm. Anyway, it's your it's your turn, Phil. Uh, you know, I, pr- I pretty much have said mostly everything on the last segment and here. I mean, it's just uh, uh, the only thing I mentioned is, uh, of course, Mr. Apps and I are still doing our Monster Hunter thing. So I'm gonna I'll do a quick plug for the Hunt Stories from Monster Hunter podcast that uh, we just threw up another episode not too long ago. Uh, and we're looking at a new focus with recent announcements that that just come through about a new switch release that we're very 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 excited for that i think a lot of the monster hunter community is excited for the short version is if you enjoyed monster hunter world but you're looking for more and uh then then looking to the past isn't the worst thing in the world uh so uh, one of the things that we pointed out was that the the new monster hunter generations that's coming out on the switch literally has somewhere close to three times as many monsters Four times. Something like... It's incredibly stupid how many monsters it has compared to Monster Hunter World. So, uh, but still recommend Monster Hunter World first. It's still the best, you know, Monster Hunter game out there. But if you're not getting and enough... how many because, of those monsters have you taken down so far, Phil? Out of those 60? I think I'm up to number three now. 
Uh, so, <laughs> because we just start. Because the cool thing is, the cool thing is, if you have Monster Hunter Generations on your DS when the Switch comes out in a couple of months, the the Ultimate Edition, you'll be able to transfer your character and your progress over. So Mike and I are making a making a, an effort of seeing how far we can get before the game even comes out. Yay! Exciting uh, and whatnot. But other than that, yeah, just pretty much we were, we just talked about Odin Sphere and JRPG July, and and just piggybacking a little bit more on what Miss Cassandra said here. There's a lot of exciting things going on at RPGamer.com and our Discord channel. So go over, check out the website. We have a lot of great uh, news articles. We got reviews up there for Lost Child and Cosmic Star Heroine, and uh, we got an Ease Eight impression and Drowns Crown. Dragon's Crown Pro Easy Review. And Switch. That's the important Switch. Thing. Oh yeah, the Switch Switch one. And uh, all kinds of stuff. So so go and check it out. It's all over at rpgamer.com uh, and the such. Um, I think that's about all I got. I'll remind everybody that of course RPG Backtrack is a production of rpgamer.com. Your source for news reviews, features, news, podcasts, and so much more. Uh, for your favorite computer and console role-playing games, uh, head over to our site. Leave us comments. You can hit us up on Twitter. Uh, I'm at JC Servant. Mr. Miki is at Jume Sin. And Cassandra, aren't you at Strawberry Eggs or something like that? Berry Eggs. Berry Eggs. It's all the same. Nope. <laughs> They'll just totally get it wrong. At Berry Eggs. And, of course, you can always uh, you know, hit up the whole team at RP Gamer. And we do have a Facebook group as well. You can follow if you want to keep up with our news there on Facebook. Uh, just look up RP Gamer. Somebody's going to be trying to to message Raspberry Eggs. It's not I know work. someone's gonna, well. No, somebody else has it. It might be a fifty year old overweight guy, but somebody has that handle. Uh, so. <laughs> or Blackberry Eggs or Boysenberry Eggs. Boysenberry, yeah, Boysen, Boysenberry Eggs. So hit up hit up Cassandra however you want uh, and whatnot. Oh, I keep forgetting. I actually have my RP Gamer email running now, so I need to go check that again too. I'll do that at some point here. I got to get used to that. But anywho, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, Mr. Miki, do you got something to put us to bed with? I don't think I can do the voice acting in Arc Rise Fantasia justice without some preparation. So just imagine somebody dragged in off the street of Tokyo attempting to voice act for the first time in his or her life. And that'll give you a good idea of something that is probably not going to help you sleep well. Good night. Good night.